welcome to episode 112 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our first batch of games from issue 45 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and was slowed down by Serve and Volley, tested by Trivial Pursuit, A New Beginning, and terrorised by Terrapods. This week, we conclude our look at the games in January 1989, along with what was lighting up our TV and cinema screens that month. Graham, has 1989 started to pick up yet, or are we still surfing along in those software doldrums? In this good old-fashioned health and safety out the window, probably unsanitary, pick and mix sweet selection of an episode. We scoot around haunted mazes, popping more pills than a 90s UK clubber, as well as the occasional bit of fruit in the sedentary... Pac-mania. Anyone for a game of footy? I hear someone cry. Well, first we need to track down the apparently kidnapped team before they destroy the stadium in the somewhat footless Roy of the Rovers. And we also ask, is it a shoot 'em up Is it a dinosaur along? Indeed, is there any point to it at all? In the oddly translated Game Over 2. If that handful of sherbet pips and fizz bombs hasn't quite injected you with enough E-numbers, we also set our phasers to stun sound a red alert, and give a strong indication that there may well be Klingons on the starboard bow. In Star Trek, the Rebel Universe, take over the whole wide world, one territory at a time, and in small, badly scrolling map segments. In the functionally annoying Risk, we explore the confusing playbooks, the bouncy rules, and other funless parts of basketball, while also running around and throwing a ball at a hoop or two. In Fast Break, before finally grabbing our trusty Waggle Rock and Best Bashing Club, heading to our sports cave and smashing some bones into the ground as we aim for the shiniest rock award in the Caveman Uglympics. At least one of these games will leave a stain on your carpet, a stain that no rug doctor will ever, ever erase. Which game is it? That's for you to find out. I'd like to say that things get better from episode 111. Maybe they do. Well, 112. Well, yeah, we're in 112, but are they getting better? Are we heading in the right trajectory? I don't know. That's what I was asking you. Please tell us. Hopefully you've just told us. Maybe you didn't, maybe you did. Is this an exciting fireworks display or is this a standard box from the shop? (laughs) Or is this a cracker going off in your hand? Is this a a sparkler that doesn't light, that that you can't write your name with? Yes, a damp party popper. (laughs) Nobody likes them. No, no, a soft squib. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no yeah oh well we'll have to wait and see won't we well there's i'm, I'm gonna just say this now there's i think there's some highs and lows in this episode yeah yeah there is some there's some there's some odd scorage as well in this yes you know, high scores medium scores but i don't think there's any disastrous ones maybe the odd one well, well let's oh, there, oh there's it there, plays there, out <laughs> there's 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 things that made me angry so i've got a feeling i know what that <laughs> may be but at least one of the things it was so. there there was, a, there was a few but there we go um <laughs> yeah i mean it is what it is i'm going to put it up right here at the front if you want to support us as we go forward um Woo! you can do that you can join our patreon i know i know i know i know things are financially hard for everyone at the moment so i appreciate it if you do that's great and you know massively appreciating the we current do. climate everybody finds themselves in due to whatever's going on wherever you are um Reasons. but you can do that if you wish wish to throw us a pound a month you can do that and that is greatly appreciated or you can do the full fat one which is the equivalent of four pound fifty or whatever that is where you are um and that gets you access to our discord early episodes you can ask the podcast you can ask questions you can join in on the end of year reviews and all kinds of anything else we kind of think of and do um and stuff like that so if you and, and obviously you know you get a greatest appreciation um and if you want to do that you can do all that by going over to patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past which would be cool but you know we get it it's tough so don't worry and if you can't do that give us a tweet or something give us a share 
Give us a like, yeah. whatever it is. All of the, all all of the above. Up. All of the above. Um, but enough of my yakking. Let's get on some games. I think we should get into some games. I think we should. Um, I should. And so let's get into our first one. And Graham, that's for you. Are you suffering from Pac-Mania? Uh, well, Pac-Mania <laughs> It's from... Uh, Published. This was published by Grand Slam. Um, mm. I have. A, I don't know why I had a feeling this was something to do with Gremlin, but I don't know that it is. But it certainly seems to have a lot of Gremlin-y people involved, or at least some of them. Anyway, so this is copyright Namco, developed by Tiki Tech Software. T Q U E Tech T Q. Anyway, them. them. Um, it was actually coded by Pete Harrop, Sean Hollingworth. We've come across these names before. Mm. Graphics are Jason Wilson, and the musician here is Ben Daglish. So familiar faces to the, the C64 gaming fraternity, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, so good old Pac-Man has made a comeback, hasn't he? So <laughs> um, I don't, I'd like to say it's a surprise. All right. The beloved Pac-Man's returned in this conversion of the 1987 Namco Arcade. In this version of the game, you must wander around a series of mazes consuming all the pills to progress to the next level or world. <laughs> Watch out, though. That sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> awfully familiar. As well it might. Uh, watch out, though. Strewn throughout the maze are deadly ghosts. That, if you collide with, will kill you and take mm. away one of your three lives. Luckily, in the corners of the mazes are power pills that, when consumed, will allow you to eat the ghost and force them to respawn elsewhere in the maze. Also, there are bonus fruit objects and letters, cups and things and stuff, which give you extra points, lives, and even speed boosts. Ooh. In complete difference to the original Pac-Man, you can also jump in this game, uh, though so can some of the ghosts in the later levels, and it's all played from an isometric viewpoint. That's clever, that is, how they took a game like Pac-Man and remade it from a different angle. <laughs> and then added ear. IA. <laughs> isometric angle. That makes sense. You see IA at the end. It's Pac-Man isometric angle. Exactly. We've got it figured. we got it. You sus. Wow. There you go. You said you couldn't find nothing new in retro. I've never seen anyone say that before. <laughs> um, so the game is a conversion, obviously, from an arcade. And so it contains the tropes and most of the aspects of the arcade, including the bloody annoying music. The C64 game is split into two parts of the screen. At the top, two-thirds is the isometric maze, which you kind of float around popping pills in. The maze itself is made from generally repeatable blocks on the whole, which do change according to the level you're on. Sometimes they look like Lego blocks, sometimes they're kind of pyramid shapes. They just generally assume a form. Oddly, there's also a day and night mode for some reason, which means you can switch between colour and relatively less colour. And I think it <laughs> might even give it sort of a sort of a high-res twinge, but it doesn't change the Pac-Man itself. Or the mm-hmm. ghost. They're always in medium res. Good old medium res for a Pac-Man. That's the mm. best res for any Pac-Man, I've always thought. <laughs> you can also turn off the uh, music, which is really annoying, um, and pretty much all the way through, um, with the F3 and the uh, F3 key to switch off the uh, day and night mode, and M for music. And you get the sound effects, which are exactly as you would expect them to be. Wagga, 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 now popping pills, and then, you know, woo, 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 kind of sound. No, Pac-Man sounds. Pac-Man. Yep. It's angular Pac-Man. Um, it's only a single-player game, of course. So you start. So once you start, it's into the maze and away you go. This has an annoying habit, though, of just starting your road going left. So Pac-Man at least starts you in the middle of Pac-Man in the maze, and you can choose a direction. But not in this game. As soon as you start, you're going left, whether you like it or not. You're going left. <laughs> I hope you like left because you're going left. So if you don't want to go left, you can't not go left when you start this game. You have three lives to get through and also credit, so you can restart from the last level you died on after your lives run out. Seems totally arbitrary, that. But okay, there it is there. The bottom third of the screen is the UI, which is oddly in grey on a game that's mm. got a black background. I think that might be hiding a glitch. Um, yeah, because there was mention of a grey raster bar glitch that I've read about that didn't appear to be on the all grey UI. And so the purple score, the purple colored score and highlight text kind of gets lost in the grey. 
Purple on grey has never been a good combination for things generally in the C64. <laughs> they don't work out so well. It's hard to read that, but you won't care really, I have to say. Yeah. Um, so it's all somewhat lost. Your Pac-Man and the Ghosts appear to be medium res, like I've said, and they're a lot smaller than the arcade graphics, but they do at least move around at a reasonable pace. So this is based on the Namco Arcade. I think the Namco Arcade is from 1987, I think. But it principally follows the exact same design. It's no, there's no real changes to that. So though it's generally fun to play, it's, there is a dreary and lifeless tone to this, which is inherited from the original game, I thought. The arcade is a pretty boring old thing, I think, all said and done. And it's never one of those arcade games that I think is too fondly remembered. Nobody sits there and goes, do you remember those days when we used to play Pac-Mania? Pac-Man, maybe, but not Pac-Mania. Pac-Mania like Pac-Land is just, it's one of the Pac-Family games. It's the awkward family cousin that nobody really gets on. It turns up to events now and again, and you all sort of, you're polite, but you know, you, you, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to remember them fondly, particularly, you know, they're kind of nondescript anyway. That's kind of where it sits for me with this. Because I thought the, arc- I've always thought the arcade was pretty dull. The Z64 has certainly partaken of the boring fruit, I can tell you that much. As you trundle around the more or less empty levels, popping pills and eating the occasional ghost with the mundane music going round and round in circles, you'll be reminded of why the original Pac-Man worked in the way it did. Simple, single screen. Remember those two factors. Simple, single screen, 2D. No jumping needed. Well-designed mazes, which is something you've referred to many, many times about Pac-Man is the fact that it's got really well-designed mazes. This game, not so much. Not so much. I don't know why, but they just feel isometrically annoying in this game, the levels. <laughs> is, that the, is that what else the IA stands for? Yeah. <laughs> it felt a bit like the Pepsi game that we played. Do you remember the Pepsi one that kind of ripped this off, mad, really, in mad, a weird way? Mad Mix. Yeah. Mad Mix. Yeah. It's, this is, it's like a Pac-Man facsimile that totally misses the point of Pac-Man as a game design. I mean, it's not wholly offensive. Much of the arcade is at least here, and it is pretty colourful, at least in day mode. Stupid. And though the graphics are smaller than they are in actual Pac-Mania and all the other versions, all the other 16-bit versions, let me be clear there, because there are worse versions than this one. Amstrad, I'm looking at you, yeah. But so it does have smaller graphics, obviously, than that. But and they, but it just for me, look, it, the one thing this is missing, it's got the pack, all right? Definitely full of pack. Mania, not so much. I'm not feeling no mania from this game. You just kind of saunter around the mazes. So I'm just gonna pick up these pills. Oh, there's a ghost. Oh no, I'll just go the other way. I won't see one for 10 minutes because they're all buggered off in the corner of the other corner of the maze. Yeah. It's just it's just nothing. It's just a, the reason why Pac-Man works is because it's a little bit manic. So it's an enclosed space. It's all on one screen. You can visually see everything. That's the point of Pac-Man. And you feel, you know, you've when you're playing that game like that, your peripheral vision is picking up the little cues of the ghosts around the edges. It is. It's just that's how it works. And so you sort of panic. And that, that's often what drives you into the path of the ghosts. Remember, there's no AI in Pac-Man. Those ghosts aren't challenging you or following you around. They're just following a pattern. But because you apply human logic to that, it feels like they're following you around. It feels like they're trying to block you in and stuff. They're not doing any of that. It's just you applying applying that mental logic to it. I thought Pac-Man was heralded as one of the first ones that did have some kind of rudimentary Ew. AI. All four ghosts have different behavior. It's not AI, though. They are not. They're not. They don't decide to go left in, instead of going right every time. They have a pattern that they'll follow. If you go a certain pattern, they'll go a certain way. Yeah, that's always, how you can sort always. of run, run it through perfectly at time. Exactly. But at the same time, people don't generally, you know, somebody's going to play the game and look for those patterns, fine. You're going to get really good at it. You're going to end up like, you know, the guy in King of Con movie, what's he called? Billy Mitchell, or whatever his name, you know, the guy mm. that had the world record and all that. Fine. But the general players like me, you know, you play, you go to the arcade, you play it, you start seeing, the, you see the ghost in your periphery, your vision, and you're running around. Well, this kind of elides that by just being a bit floaty and a bit nondescript, and the mazes are, in 3D don't really work very well. And so it goes very pedestrian. It's just a pedestrian Pac-Man. It's not manic enough. It's not Pac-Manic. It's just Pac-Boring. Pac-Man needs peril. To it, you need to be able to panic in that situation and you need peril. 
when the maze ramps up the sound effects, you get the woo, 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 and things go a bit faster and the ghosts are going a bit faster and everything's running about and you've got a few dots all over the place to get. You feel a little bit of panic about that in this game. Oh, I'll get to those dots in a bit. I'm just going to go through this tube. I'm just going to sort of float around a bit. And oh, there's a ghost. I'm going to jump over the ghost because that's what I can do now. And it's boring. Pac-Man needs panic. It needs mania. It needs it needs crazy. This is none of those things. It should not be called Pac-Mania. It should just be called Pac-Pedestrian. Dull. And I don't like it. Did you like it? <laughs> I didn't mind it, if I'm perfectly honest. I just took it for what it was. I mean, I'm never a massive fan of the original arcade. I always thought it was a, an odd thing. I mean, it's just Pac-Man twisted slightly to the side and fudged into a 3D format, isn't it? Uh, I, I did think this was a good conversion of that, though. Um, I mean, you've got the source material in front of you, and they've done a good job in converting that source material to the C64. Yes, they've gone for wide over tall, because the original arcade game is taller. You know, it's that sort of... 916 whatever sort of format where they've gone wide yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. obviously to keep in sort of and bigger the, the sprites are all bigger aren't they Golf yeah ball and, size and, and that's to keep in line obviously with the c64s you know sprite two to one wide isn't it so they've gone for the wide instead of the tall yeah, so the that, 24 that, pixels by whatever they are 20 yeah whatever it is. it is yeah sort of thing whereas i mean all the other 8-bit ones have gone for the tall version because they've got a different ratio but you know i i, I didn't mind it I, I, it moved i think the good thing about this the good things i liked about this is it's it is fast it moves at a decent click as you said which i like we've seen so many of these games which are really deadly slow it i think the graphics are actually quite quite good I, the, I think the mazes are quite well drawn the isometric view is quite nice there's a bit, bit of weird brown but there's some there's some nice elements to them i think it looks the part it moves fast i had a look at the other versions spectra version the amster version was ugly the amiga version which i heard a lot of people sort of read a few people going oh if you've got that we play that one looked incredibly slow and boring and much slower, but it was slower <laughs> slower than this yeah, but version. I think that's the problem is that what 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 would what would compel you to play this over the ordinary Pac-Man? Well, what is there know. about it? There isn't anything about it. I can, I can it. jump. Um, don't forget there are two um <laughs> also as well, who knew that um Clyde was the boss of the ghosts? It isn't. They're just make trying to make sense of it. <laughs> the retcon and stuff, and he's hired two new ghosts. Sue no. and Funky. <laughs> yeah, there are more ghosts in it, I'll give it that. But they all cluster they all cluster together in the corners, so you never really see them. They do, you don't really see them that much. I, I didn't I I mean, as it was, I had a bit of a fun with this. I didn't mind it. It it played okay and it's it was fine. It was easy. It's easy, yes, and I think that's the main issue with it. It's a, it, it's it's a good conversion of a so-so arcade game. I think that's, what that's, I said. that's that's I think that's you know we've said dull that about it. Dull. Yeah, exactly. You can't really polish, like you said. It needed to be a bit more manic, and even the arcade game's pretty slow. And I think they were just pushing probably too much. But eh, I can't. I didn't hate it. It's just it is what it is. I think like it's what we saw about Operation Wolf last time. It's it's a decent it's a decent version of its host um, of its parent. I mean the 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 better version of this comes way later on mobile with is it Pac Man twenty fifty six or two five six or whatever they call it. Yeah, Pac-Man 3, yeah, yeah, 20, yeah, whatever it is. I've got it on my yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, the one that's yeah. sort of like a sort of endless End, runner yeah, type endless, Pac-Man. But it's, yeah. but it's done in a Pac-Mania style isometric view. Works way better because you've got panic. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it does, and it is. But I can't get too irate about this. I didn't I didn't mind it. I thought it was a deep, like I said, it's a good conversion of sort of so-so yeah. source material. And, and the, the, the music, thing. as much as it is, like I said, I didn't like it, but I don't like It's the same as the arcade. It's the version of it. It cuts off a little bit weirdly at certain places, but it's the yeah. same. Same as it. You can get the in-between sort of supposedly comic bits, but they're not, are they? They're not funny. They're not. They're not funny, but it's good that they've sort of included them in there. And again, all in a single load, which is, you know, nice to see with these kind of things. Which... It's unusual with some of these games, yeah. Yeah, so that and Operation Wolf, nice to see them all in a single load. But yeah, I, it was it was okay. But I, I don't know if it, it, what did it get, 88%? 80 80%? No chance, come on. Yeah, so, I mean... This is yeah. a 50% or all the way. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think you hate it, it more than I did. I don't hate it. I just think it's boring. I would rather play Pac-Man. And at this point, you probably get it for about five quid cheaper, six quid cheaper than that. Probably. But at least we can, you know, we can lay claim to the fact we've worked out what the IA stands for at the end. Yes. Isometric angle. There you go. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Pac-Man definitely. isometric angle. There you go. Yep. Take anything away from this review, that's your thing. There we go, Pac-Mania. It's not really manic. It isn't manic. You're right. It isn't. That's Ooh, the thing. Boring. Dreary. Admit, you put mania in something and you expect fast-paced shenanigans and it doesn't yeah. have that. But hey-ho, let's move on from Pac-Mania to our next one, which I'm sure will be Ace. Roy the Rovers is our next one. <laughs> it's full price, this one. Roy the is. Rovers. Uh, it's more football. More football is here, Graham, in the form of Roy the Rovers from our favourites of this issue, Gremlin Graphics. They did there so we well go. last last uh, episode. Because it's, you know, it's from Gremlin, so it means it's obviously going to be a winner, a real beaut. We know it must be. <laughs> there are no so. credits for this. That's always a worry. I always find that a bit of a worry. Mm. Say that it was made by something that someone calls System Applied Technology. I mean, that's just three words, isn't it? That's what three words? That's, that's where someone lives. Um, Could easy be. But whoever they are, System Applied Technology. Full price, I said. It must be good. Anyway, Roy the Rovers, you know who he is? Are you, are you aware of Mr. Roy? And yes, his well, I'm aware of the comic strip. Yeah. But that's it. I just got this from the wiki because obviously, I'm like you, I was aware of it. So Roy the Rovers was a British comic strip about the life and times of a fictional footballer and later manager named Roy Race who played for Melchester Rovers. The strip first appeared in the Tiger comic in 1954, before giving its name to a weekly and later monthly comic. The weekly strip ran until 1993, following Roy's playing career until its conclusion after he lost his left foot in a helicopter crash. (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. I didn't expect Roy the Rovers to be going that dark. Anyway, but when the monthly comic was launched later that year, the focus switched to Roy's son, Rocky. Rocky of the Rovers. Oh, Rocky, Rocky Race. <laughs> Rocky Race. Yeah, he also played for Melchester. The publication was short-lived and folded, though, after only 19 issues. People were not interested in Rocky. <laughs> Get out, Rocky. Folded. To yeah. a snigger. As well as dealing in on-pitch action, Roy of the Rovers featured high drama off the pitch, with kidnapping storylines a recurring feature of its early decades. Uh, pretty bleak. I know. From the 1970s onwards, stories included a shooting, a terrorist atrocity, and several celebrity guest appearances. Why me? I know. Like, uh, sounds like a soap opera. I know. But all in comic form. Essentially, this it's a boy's own football in comic. There's always a thing, and you know, it's a real. There's a, there's a saying in football commentary: "Oh, that's a real Roy the Rovers moment," and things like that, which essentially means you know, is it? something. Is that a yes, thing? It, yeah, it is. Yeah, because essentially, wow. what it means is that something has happened that we just couldn't have predicted or expected. It's like His someone's pulled off. out, <laughs> like your foot fell off in a helicopter crash. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes. So what we have here, though, is a crappy cash-in from a software house that I would say should know better, but having played Archura last week, I guess anything went by this point with Gremlin in the C64's life. Mm. They just didn't give a shit, did they? This game itself has two parts to it. It's got an ad- arcade adventure of sorts and a football game, so at least it does feature football, unlike Gary Lineker's special super skills, which featured no football due to Gary resting all the time. Um, <laughs> Gary tired. <laughs> Gary drinking. When the game loads, you're greeted with an image of Roy blasting the ball into the face of some guy who looks like he's wandered in from a 1940s film noir for some reason. I don't know what he's doing there. <laughs> it does. It's very does. bizarre. Um, I've no idea what this is about. There's also a tune that plays, a horrible tune, pitched in that annoying, jovial manner 
with twee trills that will grate on your ears forever because it never ends and loops after about 45 seconds. Oh, that tune was awful. Past this, we can choose to play the full game or just have a game of football even though it's labelled soccer, which is odd, seeing as this is a distinctly British game and no one calls it soccer over here. No one. Something's gone wrong. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, if we try the full game, then we get another full screen image where Roy is on the phone stating that the team has vanished and the promoters may pull out. And two guys in the background, two businessmen in the background going, ah, we've lost a pen. One of them looks (laughs) like he's having a stroke. Yeah, he's not well. (laughs) It's like, where's, where's the note? Where's my pen? Oh, it's dreadful. And Roy's just dead close up on the phone, isn't he? Like in just what yeah. in the colours the colours used are bad. It's blue on brown in it. Blue on brown. Nothing about that is good. <laughs> Nothing. Essentially, Melchester Rovers have a charity game that night, but someone has kidnapped the team. And only manly man Roy Race can find them. So, after some lengthy loading, what this leads to is a boring, dreary wanderathon as you start at 9 a.m. and have until 7 p.m. to find the team who are somewhere to be found in Melchester. Otherwise, the bulldozers move in and demolish the ground. Seems <laughs> seems overly harsh because I mean, you'd think the police would get in and the game would get cancelled. The team's been kidnapped. The team's been kidnapped. Bulldoze the ground. We're never getting them back. <laughs> it's just as, as reactions go, that's a little overwrought. I tell you what, it's, some, it's something a bit weird about that. But you know, when terrorist atrocities, missing left feet, who knows what's going on in this in this world? <laughs> the game is a flick screen, multi directional adventure as you meander around the streets trying to find clues and avert the crisis. There are four options across the top access with the F keys. These are command, which allow you to change from a jog to a walk or a walk to a jog. Why is that? <laughs> just have me run. Just run everywhere. It's a football of a God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Or you can smile or chat to people. <laughs> I don't understand any of this. Object allows you to pick up, pick up, drop or use items you may find. The special menu allows you to visit your mum, go home or wait. <laughs> I don't know what any of this is for. In the help menu just tells you to get on with it says you're roy the rovers you can sort it uh okay that didn't help at all thanks so so the game is presented in a slightly 3d-ish isometric-ish style but it's flat so it's got some depths of the streets and buildings but you can only move along a 2d plane and when you reach junctions you can press up or down to go along these new streets it's as confusing as all these turner nog death wish 3 masters of the universe handicap type games are you soon get lost in a bewildering morass of streets that all look the same even though they have a name on it as you just wander about wondering where to go and it's just all horrible the ui at the bottom has your quartz watch (laughs) which made me laugh uh with the present time on it counting up (laughs) towards 7 p.m obviously it's got a compass so you know which way you're going which you won't the name of the street you're on your score a picture of a girl for some reason although it might be supposed to be a member of the team <laughs> i'm not quite sure column a column b the one there i think is supposed to be you so you've one person of the team and i think if you find the, the members that would probably fill up i think is what will happen right that's what makes sense yeah so i think that's what's supposed to be there so you're supposed to put the team back together and finally it's got some arrows to let you know which direction you can go right now Usually it's just left or right. And then when you get to a junction, it'll point up or down. So you can press up or down to go down the new streets and that's it. Whatever. It's boring. It's really, really boring. It's really dull and boring. If you want to play it, then press Q immediately. That turns off the music. You can thank me for that later because you want to do that. But don't play. It's rubbish. Anyway, if you've managed to find your team or you just want a quick game of football, you can try the soccer option. If you do try the soccer option, you still get that same picture of uh, Roy going, the team's been stolen or whatever, kidnapped. So I don't know why if you're just having a quick game of footy. So yeah, that's it. You can try, uh, you can do one or two players. That's about it. There's no options here, just one or two players. So when this part of the game loads, you realise that this is even worse. It's even worse than the adventure part. 
The game is seen from the side, yeah. sort of almost an isometric view, because the, the pitch is at a slant, which makes it weird to sort of get a, a feel of it. There are only four players on the pitch, on the screen at any one time. At the top, there's a huge scrolling message board that never shuts up, just randomly putting stuff up, going, Gremlin graphics, go Roy, go, and all stuff like this. It's like, don't, it's just rubbish. There's no crowd. Below the board are the team names, Melchester Rovers versus the All-Stars, and the score, that's it. The whistle goes and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> Until you it's run really to the ball. It's strange that. I ran around the pitch, but I didn't touch the ball. You could just run around forever. forever. The countdown, it won't start ticking down. I just ran off, ran around the pitch, ran up, ran down. <laughs> For about five minutes, I was just running around going, is this how Surely they must have thought, just, you know, just don't. Because the, the, the no players, the four players are on the pitch, they're nowhere near the ball when the whistle blows, so nothing happens. This game's going nowhere until you actually run to the ball. But once you do, you realise this is a terrible, terrible football game. And when you do run to the ball, it just bounces off you into the other yeah. player, and it's just dreadful. So this game doesn't scroll. It's flick screen. It's a flick screen football game when you get to the either end of the three-screen width pitch. So you've got the centre and you've got the two ends. There's three screenlets. If you go, you know, if you go off the centre screen to either end, there are no goalposts in the goal. <laughs> Shirts uh, for goalposts in this just, game. Just dreadful. <laughs> I was when I got onto, it, I was like, "Where's the goalpost? You could draw goalposts. They're just lines. Just draw goalposts. Yeah, <laughs> solid lines. Me. Angered me so much. I was like, "There's no goalpost. Oh, <laughs> this is just awful. I thought that might wind you up. The sprites, they're not the worst I've seen in the football game. They're not great. The movement, however, the gameplay, the sense of this being anything about football, it's just not there. There's nothing to it. It's just awful. The goalkeepers are worse than that one we saw in the other week in the Pinkett Beardsley game. They dive and stuff, but they're actually made of no collision. <laughs> so all I can think of, there's there's no collision on them because the ball just they're they're like ghost goalies. They're like you know Patrick Swayze and ghosts, and that things just move through them. It's just dreadful. You can't tackle anyone. You, you can't do that. Kicking the ball is futile. It's just awful on every level. Every single thing about this is bad. Considering we just had Emily Hughes' international soccer, this is another affront. And manages to somehow be worse than Peter Beardsley's crap offering. This is a dual part game where both of them would be considered contenders for worst in class, but seem to compound their abysmal quality by putting them together. So it's it's literally crap times crap equals crapper. What yeah. an affront for, is this is for £10. Awful. Beyond awful. Yeah. It's episode two of 1989, and I think we're going to need a, a new category in the end of year awards for, for worst publishing house. And Gremlin yes. are really going Ooh. out for it for worst game of the year award already. I think we should do that actually at the end of this year. We should have done it last we year as well. Do. But... This is awful. This was dreadful on every level. 18% is being yep. kind. This got very kind. I hated it. What about you? Well, I didn't like it. <laughs> um, I mean, my thought was, wow. So this is what happens if you combine two <laughs> badly realized ideas and game genres into one. Yeah. I mean, no one's ever thought of blending these two things together, arcade adventure and football game, for a reason. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even if you thought that was a good idea, even if you did just for one second entertain that idea and then try and hang it on a comic strip license, just at a certain point you'd go, no, I'm not going to do that because it's going to be crap. I mean, you can't tell me this product is something you'd say you were happy with at any point because it's just not very good. Nope. Horrible, horrible audio. The music is is one of those attempts at jaunty sort of boppy, you know, almost the comment of... Yes, that's what they're for, yeah. So it's that but on a very short loop, 
gradually that works its way into your soul. And it's all the way through the game. It's enough to drive a saint to the sea that, so you need to shut that bloody cacophony off. Mm-hmm. I saw also saw like you from the credits, no one's owning up to this one either. So it's just, you know, from Gremlin. Thanks. You can collectively all take a shit for that one because that's, mm. you know, take, don't take a bow, take a shit. Off you go. There you go. Yep. There you go. There you go. Well done. There you go. The adventure part. So let's look at this briefly. Look at this for me. The adventure part, another boring walk left and right simulation with weird up and down <laughs> navigation controls. Gremlin game then is what you yeah. describe that, right? It's just, yeah. It's the, it's, it's the Gremlin engine. It's a Gremgen. It's back. <laughs> In Pog form. In Pog form. form. Boring. It's boring to be a footballer wandering around. It That's is. That's what I discovered. It's just boring. It's depressing. Using drop-down menus for selecting things. Drop-down menus are not, in of themselves, a wholly exciting proposition. I don't care how full of exciting words they may be. Like checkboxes, <laughs> menu options or controls have a place, maybe, but not in this sort of game. Not in a game about an exciting footballer that's going to potentially lose a foot in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Graphically, <laughs> the backgrounds are a drab, nondescript series of street scenes. The usual thing for Gremlin, then. Grey bricks, brown window frames, and boring road details. Yeah, it's a Gremlin game, all right? Mm-hmm. Take this graphic out, put the Death Wish 3 characters in, and then you've got that. It's, you know, and we've seen a load of them like this. Your character looked like a small red boiler suit wearing fella. I'm um, not sure what, why or why he wasn't wearing a football kit. Sort of would have made sense for him to. I mean, even if he doesn't wear one all the time, in terms of its iconography for a game about footballer, would have made sense to do that, wouldn't it? It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to do that. Or a tracksuit, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he was wearing one. But with no details as such, and a very sternly animated walk kind of cycle, I thought. It's like, duh, duh, he's getting where he's going. <laughs> Punching the air he was almost. Really determined. And uh, badly scrolling, you know. I'm like, I thought, I thought, is this going for the, you know, the, the holy trinity? Are we going to go for crap backgrounds? We're going to go for crap navigation. Are we going to go for the final piece, the bad jerky scrolling? Yay, there it is. Crappy scrolling as well. Mm-hmm. Piecemeal scrolling. And I thought, goodness me. So the details, like you said, the high res, I guess, is the, what you can say, which means a limited color palette. Not the best idea in a game like this, really, to limit your color palette. I suppose you might get away with it if you were thinking it might be like the comic strip, but it doesn't work, does it? Nope. None of it's nice. Controls are awkward. The navigation around the streets is stupid, but in keeping with the tradition of a gremlin game. So it's not stupid for them. It's probably perfectly ordinary. It reminded me of Andy Cap and not in a good way. Not that there is a good way to be reminded of that. The football part, <laughs> I mean, I didn't really want to go into it because I thought, do I want to see what this is like? Well, curiously got the better of me. I wish it hadn't. And I'm not going to call it the S word. It's a football match attempt. Multi-loaded. I was like, what? And then a sluggish flip screen football game with no goalposts and teams of about two people. Yeah. I mean, even street sports soccer was better than this. And that, oh no, we didn't hate on that, but it was just a better football game. And that's, and that was made by people that didn't even live in a country that's main sport is football. Mm-hmm. Hey, no real worth controlling <laughs> who it passes to and where it goes. I don't, I'm not even sure. I couldn't get the ball off them. They just sort of ran up to the goal, went boot, and it went in. My keeper was hopeless. It was just crap. A badly realised adventure bolted to a badly realised football game. Well done, Gremlin. Well done. Golf clap, I think. Golf clap for Gremlin. (laughs) For being able to combine two things so badly to create the ultimate football turd. Well done. Well done indeed. Mm-hmm. Poor old Roy the Rovers. As if losers in a foot in the future ain't bad enough. They've got that to contend with. <laughs> I know, and no one liking your son. <laughs> now, sad, sad. I'm sure Roy the Rovers was probably a really great thing till that happened. But there you go. 18% from Zap. Still too bloody high for me, that. Yeah, it is really high. 10 quid. 10 quid they're asking for that. Oh. And this would have been released just before Christmas as well. This is Christmas fodder. Because remember, we're in January to be reviewed. Oh, yeah. So imagine, actually, yeah. You know, oh, you like Roy the Rovers, don't you? I got you this. Yeah, you can imagine. Look, it's a football game. How am I wandering around the streets looking depressed? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Have I got the right one? <laughs> I don't know. You have. 
There's a, there is a football version. This is a football. This, this is a football. They've just, they've just bulldozed the ground down. Oh, well, that's a strange outcome for a football game, isn't what it? Have you, what have you bought me, Granny? <laughs> what have you bought I'll me? It, I'll take it back and I'll get you something else. You will. You bloody you will. will. Get, off you go. <laughs> now, get walking. Here's Artura. <laughs> I thought it sounded like a margarine, so that's why I got it. Get out of this house. <laughs> Never darken our door again. <laughs> no, you're not welcome. No. Oh, Royd Rovers, bloody awful. Bloody Crap. awful. Crap. Crap. Let's move on. We've got one more this part before we go off for a break and do other stuff. And Graham, well, for you, it's game over. Two. <laughs> Game over again. What could you call it? I was thinking about this. There's so many ways they could have named it. Game over part two. Game over the revenge. Game over the revenge would have been better. I think calling something game over two sounds stupid. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) But there you go. It's 8.95 this was. 58% scored in Zap. Published by Dynamic. Dynamic. And coded by a fancy set of names, Adrian. Fancy set of names. Fernando Jimandez. (laughs) Xavier Cubido. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, no one escapes the musician, Pablo Toledo. (laughs) Sorry if you are those people. They're just great names. They are great. They are excellent names. We do love them. (laughs) Pablo Toledo. What? It's just a great name for a musician. That is great. You're a great guy. Great person. Awesome. Anyway, the game then. Arcos uh, has achieved the defeat of Gremler. Um, Empress (laughs) of the five planetary systems. After overcoming countless difficulties, the Trops... Of the side real infantry have arrived. These are this. I'm reading this as it's written in the in the instructions that I've got. I think it's meant to say troops. Anyway, the troops of the side real <laughs> infantry have arrived to take charge of the imperial planet. All is happiness and joy. Is it? <laughs> that's, that's how it's written. But no one can find the hero of the rebellion. Nobody knows where Arcos is. Oh. Soon it is found out that he has been captured by Gremler's heirs and has been imprisoned on the terrible jail planet Fantis. By the way, this game was called Fantasy in Spain. It was, yeah. To free him is a one-man mission, and Major Locke is chosen to accomplish this, as he knows the terrain best. Okay. okay. So this game is split into um, two sort of chunks uh, with different phases in each chunk. And I'll sort of go through the explain the phases, and then we'll sort of talk about the game. So quick, because I can quickly do this, because they're summarized in like crazy fashion in the, in the inlay. Yeah. So phase one, you must approach Moon 4. You will be attacked by kamikaze hordes of Sinolais. <laughs> <laughs> the first load, sorry, I meant to say the first load is made up of four phases, and your aim is to land on the planets and cross the swamps mounted on your clonal Adrek. Okay. Who All right. wrote this? I don't know, but his, his clonal Adrek sounds sounds horribly painful. Also, this is reminding me of the uh, Last Ninja 2 with with too much bold bold words for yes, no reason. Got, yes, it's, it's been emboldened. In phase two, you will fly over the volcanic area. Beware of the reconnaissance bombers, the balls of incandescent magma, and the ground air missiles of autonomous recognition. I'm sensing a translation tool was used for this. And <laughs> not a good one. And not a good one. <laughs> My hovercraft is full of eels. <laughs> full of eels. <laughs> Phase three, you will enter the underground cavern that leads to the swamps. On this occasion, you'll be attacked by <sighs> multipolia serpents, <laughs> which require three laser discharges in the head to stop them. Annihilate the nebulae of krypton gas 
and the enemy ships patrolling the cavern. And then phase four, once you land, you'll be able to capture a clonal Adrek, which will enable you to cross the swamps. In your possession, you have a photonic blade that will help you defeat the inhabitants of the swamps who fight mounted on giant toads and pterodactyl. Wow, that got prehistoric. So that's actually, that's 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 the first load. Yeah. Uh, second load, you must descend to the deepest layers of the planet and cross six different levels before rescuing your companion from prison. There's the surface level, a mountainous area inhabited by sidereal pelotrones. Use your rebel pelotrone to do away with them. <laughs> do away with them. <laughs> That's very polite. Do away with them. I thought pelotrone was a, like an exercise bike. There you go. What do I know? Absolutely. Away with you. I'm doing away with you. Away. <laughs> do, do away with them. These these pelotrones. These pesky do away pelotrones. With <laughs> oh, the pesky pelotrones. <laughs> oh. There's something erecting up my tree. Please, 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 do away with them. <laughs> Um, the alien base level is is the second phase. Gain control of the iconic turbo laser and its proton loader <laughs> in order to be armed to full power. Phase three, underground forest level. You must find the access medallion in order to cross the blue door. That sounds like something from a David Lynch film. <laughs> or a, a Shaking Stevens album. <laughs> the inner lake level is number four. Escape from the fierce jaws of the Plentosaurus that dwells below the thermal waters of the lake. One of them in Flesh Gordon. <laughs> and be careful with the murderous piranhas until reaching the heliport. They're just words being put together in sentences now. This is like the earliest version of ChatGPT had a stroke. To be careful with the murderous piranhas. I mean, piranhas <laughs> are not murderous. They just These eat ones you. Are. They just eat you. That's not murder. They just no, eat you for know. food. They just that's just what piranhas do. I said murder. I said piranha. Uh, magma level is number five. The helicopter will fly through the cave leading to the volcanic area. Avoid the lava bubbles and the landslides of magmatic rock. Magmatic rock is not a term that's real. <laughs> Although I think it should be. Magmatic rock sounds like a compilation album from an 80s rock band. It really does. Yeah, it does sound like something you drive to. The best of magmatic rock <laughs> on Father's Day. <laughs> Get him with tracks from Boston. Journey. <laughs> magmatic rock. Magmatic power. Um, and then there's the, uh, I think it's meant to be prison, but it's actually, it says prison level. The prison level. Um, disintegrate all the red devils guarding the millinery prison. Millinery? What? They have the hats? It says, mil- <laughs> it says, it says the millinery the prison, hat, doesn't it? The right. hat prison. <laughs> hat prison. And you, and you will view the end of Game Over 2. Good luck. And then it says after that, mysteriously, evaluation. <laughs> There are 24 different enemies in Game Over 2. Evaluation. We thought we did quite well, actually. I would think in future, to do better, um, I'd like to involve with more more levels, but I have thought that my coding's quite good. (laughs) For everyone you destroy, you obtain points. It's just, you know, it's just ridiculous all of this anyway then there's the list of controls of the ship the colonial the clonal adrek which is i think some kind of creature and major lock of course anyway let's you know so that's that's you know, that's the game that's what you're meant to do mm-hmm. um all that's all exciting isn't it all that for you know nine quid game over two the name don't make sense and i can you know and from the get-go when you start this thing up you can see they've tried for production however mm. the music well the music's horrible <laughs> there's no other <laughs> word for it it's something of an infection of SID sounds that have formed some kind of horrific audio discharge. <laughs> uh, mercifully, it stops looping eventually. or just stops. It may not have been looped, or maybe I just went deaf. I don't know. It was horrible. You choose from the three options, keyboard, joystick, or redefine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you're into the game. Where you go. It's very light on options. And like I said, the game's in those split into those parts, so it's sort of part shoot 'em up part, I don't know how to describe dinosaur action, I think. Best way to describe it. Yeah, something or other. The first section is a 
is a dull and pretty simple horizontal scrolling shooter. Sprites zoom in front of, zoom in from the right, initially boring meteors that look like someone's opened a pack of revels in space. And then some small alien spaceships in obtuse patterns and zigzags, of course. They're always attacking zigzags. Shoot them if you can. Avoid them most likely because uh, the joystick moves and the button shoots, but it doesn't shoot enough bullets to actually kill anything meaningfully. And the inertia drags you back to the left anyway. So you'll just want to get past that by just avoiding most of them, which you can do easily. It's like you're on a bungee rope. Yeah, it just pulls you, it pulls you back in. That you want to be. Um, but you're just better off just going up into the top right-hand corner and waiting because none of the enemies go there. You, just, mm. you can just float away through the level doing that. And then, obviously, so you'll get past that. After a couple of phones, you get, you know, wave of rebels, wave of, wave of then of enemy spaceships such as they are, then another wave of minstrels or, you know, Maltesers. They just look like little space, little chocolates that are floating through space. And then uh, you'll end up in some kind of cave, like a narrow view of a cave, and then you're avoiding spinnies. And this is something I'm interested in. Why are there always spinnies in these games? Collection of spinnies. Just collection of eight spikes just spinning in a circle. Spinnies everywhere, spinnies. So there's spinnies in this one. So you've got to shoot the spinnies by shooting them directly in their brains. Right in the forehead. Right in the old bean box. After that, if the shooting sound effect hasn't quite made you want to force cotton buds into your brain, you'll enter the next zone, which is, well, it's like a shit rim runner. Best way you could describe it. And that was, no one wants that. Those two things are not nice. Rim runner and shit. No. <laughs> And there you will run along the surface of the zone through some horrible backgrounds and avoiding more enemies until you reach, you know, the next bit where you become the jetpack jetman as you walk around exploring and finding stuff, really. Mm-hmm. So, and that's how the game split. So shoot them up, dinosaur runny bit, shoot them in tunnels, and then you've got the wandering around bit in the sort of the, I don't know, I guess you describe it like the, the, the final phases, I guess. Each of the levels has a UI, well, a score at the top and lives indicate at the bottom. And if you lose one of those, then obviously it changes. In other zones, you will also see your health and some extras you can have picked up like laser guns. No idea really what they're for, what they do and how they help you. It's not really indicated in the instructions or anything else, but there they are. All the graphics are pretty blocky, but colourful. And the later animation, your Jetman-type character, the Colonel, whatever his name is, Colonel Clink, whatever his bloody name was, it wasn't actually terrible, that. Indeed, I think it's it's fair to say that as much as I don't like anything about this game particularly... The game does get better looking as you get further in. So it starts off as a pretty lame shooter. The second bit's like a crap rim runner. But by the time you get to the end, there's actually a passable game at that sort of end bit in terms of how it looks. It's not too bad. But you've got to get past all the other stuff, the running and the shooting of the dinosaurs and all that stupid stuff. The music, as I've said, is an atonal front to audio and the sound effects are a series of piercing audio needles that punch you <laughs> more than entertain your eardrums. I mean, tonally, this game is all over the shop. I'm not sure that it knows what it wants to be and there's no glue holding these things together. The mission is vague at best, and this shows because it's you're sort of in this somewhat aimlessly and thanklessly, and you plod from zone to zone with very little reward or fun along the way. There is a nice look and feel later, and there is some interesting production at the start, but I'm afraid there's no getting away from it. This is just dreary. It's just a dreary game, and it's quite hard as well. Well, I should say that towards the end it is. Getting there is actually it's actually conversely compared to game over. This is actually relatively easy in that respect. It's pretty easy to breeze through it. I've kind of gone mm-hmm. the other direction with it, really. But you won't want to persevere you mean you think you've got to get through all that to get to this really dreary you know end bit i don't know there's no getting away from any of this really it's dreary it's got little to offer the player other than an earache so i didn't enjoy it so i'm sorry game over poo and i will say it and i will take that low-hanging fruit thank you very much thank you very much for that fruit lovely what about you yeah i mean it's weird isn't it because this was never meant to be game over two it was just a game no. called fantas yeah um, so in spain fantas on the spain yeah in spain that's it was, that was all it was meant to be and then when they brought it over here they renamed it to game over two and made it you know a thing which seems odd why don't you just release it as fantas it's the Put same more booby who, who, art on the box and things. yeah well actually the what there's the booby art on the um spanish version is even more thingy because she's in like what is it even boobier 
It's even boobier. She's in a mankini and there's loads of green yeah. things. It's very odd. Yeah, and I, I had that, that as a loading screen as well. But either way, whatever. The game is just, this. It's just it's average. It's average in every way. This game. It got fifty eight percent. Yeah. Um, the first few levels are the average horizontal shmup. They're not terrible. Nothing's terrible about this. Everything's average. I didn't mind the music. It's just average. The sound effects are average. The visuals are average. Nothing outstanding. The second section is perfectly average. It's just average. Wander around and find stuff type of affair. There's some nice sprites and bits and that, which are quite quite cool. But it just doesn't do anything to reach above beyond perfectly average. I can't describe it any other way. The best thing about this is it's not as... Well, it's not technically a game over two, but if we count it as it is, it's not as punitively hard as that game. So it, it is easier to play, and that's a good thing. But the two sections of the game, they've just been bettered by other games that do that one thing better. You know, we've got way better shooters and we've had way better things like Antiriad and things like that, which do the collector thing better. So absolutely. Like Roy the Rovers, you know, if you put two things together, it doesn't make it exponentially better. It's both those things no. are average. You know, one times one is still one. Well, no, we haven't said that for a while, have we? You put two pieces of shit in your hand and you clap them together. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make it like a much better shit, does no, it? It makes it worse for everyone. <laughs> everyone around you is now unhappy because <laughs> they're covered in shit. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, that would be the outcome. But that would happen even if you had shit in one hand and clapped. <laughs> yes, true. Just don't do it. You just have less shits flying yeah, about. Just generally avoid holding <laughs> shits and clapping, really. <laughs> it's not and something again, I do. Just apologise my... to our non-scatological <laughs> listeners. <laughs> it's not something I do in my general day-to-day life, but when I do do it, <laughs> I like to I like to number two it. I'll do it twice. Because you know, if you're gonna do it, you have to go the whole hog. You double scoop. You do, absolutely. <laughs> I'll do a twin scoop clap. Yeah, absolutely. You want it spraying between all your fingers. Goodness me. Darkness swept across the land. <laughs> So yeah, one times one is one. That's all this is. It is. I mean, yeah. although the you know although the lure of two types games is a good one, neither of them are going to have you playing this for long. It's just the shooter no. is annoying because of that bungee rope thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why that th- anyone thought that was a good idea. You're a ship on a bungee rope. It's like I'm oh, going forward. I'm going forward. No, I'm going back. I'm going back. Go forward. I'm going forward. Going back. Going you read back. the instructions, right? I, I followed them. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that they gave away Game Over with some of the additions of Game Over Two as well. Well, that'd be good then, because now you've got about four games you don't want to play. I was going to say, just that we're talking about the, putting the two turds together. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> now you've just got turds on the side of your head, and you're exactly. just smacking your hands into the side of your head where you've got more you've got turds. Twice as many reasons to hate what you've bought. <laughs> so, you, you sat on your ass, and you've got turds in your feet, and you're just slapping your feet and your hands together. <laughs> Goodness me. And again, just like to apologize to our non scatological <laughs> listeners out there. Sorry about that. It did go darkly brown for a while there, but we're okay. We're all okay now. I'm fine now. How are you? <laughs> I'm C sixty four brown. <laughs> oh, game over. Game over yes. two poo. There we go. That one was a painfully average at best half. Well, Roy the Rovers ain't gonna be happy with that, is he? Well, he's lost a foot. Melchester's just been burnt down and run over and squashed. He lost a foot, and that was preferable to the game. <laughs> that's all I can say. Just take my other foot. I'm not playing it. Absolutely. There we go. Um, that's it. That's it for this part. Uh, we're going to go away, take a quick break. We're going to come back, uh, re- recuperate somehow, and talk about TV and film from uh, January 1989. So uh, if we haven't put you off too much, please stick around. We'll see you in a bit.
And we're back once again. So this is TV, January 1989. We're in post-Christmas blues. It's the January, the unending month uh, of January. And especially back then, it always felt, January always felt unending. Just grey and went on forever and ever. Because you, you got paid at the big, early in December and then you didn't get paid till the end of January. Uh, well, yeah. you know, so your parents didn't maybe at that time or whatever. But So January's a long month. Yeah, and living in Grimsby, it was very grey and dreary, and yeah, oh, it was awful. Yeah. Uh, anyway, to school what we got? as well, and uh... <sighs> and everyone smelled because it was always like damp. Yeah, musty. Yeah, very musty. First uh, of January, though, before we get back to school, we had the network television premiere of Amadeus on BBC One, Milos Forman's nineteen eighty four biographical drama based on the play of the same name. It was a fictionalized biography of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. It certainly is. It's one of my favourite films, Amadeus. Is it? I never it knew is. that. It is, yes. It's There's an amazing, I would recommend everyone go, if you like, you'd have to like Mozart, obviously, and classical music. And it's quite an, it's quite an interesting depiction of that sort of story, you know, the dramatised story of Mozart composing, you know, from a very young age, and then obviously for making enemies of Salieri, and Salieri uh, plotting to murder Mozart and, you know, doing all of these dastardly things that they did and all of that stuff. But it's just told in a very beautiful way, visually mm. rich. And, and the, the extended and remastered Blu-ray that's out of that, I'd recommend if you like that kind of thing, you know, costume, drama, epic film, big music. It's an amazing remaster. It's, 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 I watched it in there on the Blu-ray fairly recently on, on the, you know, on a good size, decent TV and that, and it was ace. I'll heartily recommend it. Did it win Oscars? It won Oscars, didn't it? It did win Oscars, yeah. I think I'm not sure. You'd have to do a quick, you know, quick googly Google and tell you which ones it won. But it did win some. I'm pretty sure it was one of those ones that swept the board. I think it won quite a few. It won, yes, it did win Oscars. It won eleven. Yeah, I was going to say. I think it swept the board. Best picture, costume design, actor, actor, production design, cinematography, director, sound mixing, film editing, adapted screenplay, and makeup and hairstyling. Absolutely, and and all those things are what make it very special. And I mean, it's beautifully shot. It's really incredibly made. And of course, you've got what an amazing soundtrack. And I think what it perhaps doesn't do as much because it doesn't really. The focus is on Mozart, and they play down Mozart's genius. Oh, it won eight, won eight. In fact, they play down Mozart's genius in the film in that film in favour of it being more about him being kind of a more of an erratic sort of you know pop star of the day, which is what a lot of people, a lot of people say he was in that kind of character. You know, he's quite a young. Obviously, very young, died very young, very very extravagant kind of lifestyle and very odd personality. But there's some amazing, amazing facts about Mozart which will blow your mind. Go on, then. Blow your mind. So, for example, he first started composing at the age of five, not just little bits of music, full operas. Wow. He had a photographic memory for music. He could hear a piece of music once or look at a piece of music once. Well, actually, two things. He could listen to a piece of music and write it down note for note exactly accurately, even an orchestra, and write it down without any errors. Good Lord. And he could also hear something once and play it perfectly on any instrument that it was played across, which is kind of incredible. So any part of an orchestra's instrument, he could pick up and play anything, with the exception of, I think, the trumpet, which I think is something he didn't necessarily have a lot of time for or whatever. But other than that... (laughs) (laughs) Crazy, isn't it? But he's also fluent in, I think it was something like... Yeah, 11 languages, something like that. 12 languages. Clever kid, then. Um, yeah, it just is obviously a savant. You know, yeah. there's no way, no, you know, a crazy, crazy savant. The guy, you know, the, he was writing up full operas when he was very, very young. I mean, I, I, it's hard to imagine somebody having all of that in them. And the only outlet for that kind of the thing is the sort of the, the, mu- the music that he was writing. Do you know, the manuscripts of Mozart, they're error-free. This music was complete in his head when he wrote it down. It wasn't like he wrote down and made errors and crossed things out. It's written note for note perfect. Wow. Never made a change, never corrects an error, at least, you know, the official. It's just, and it's that's the kind of character you're dealing with. And they do, I think they do 
some of that's just this in the film, some of it not. But it's worth going and checking out. And it's, I remember watching it at that time on BBC as well. Amazing film. It's really what got me hooked in. Um, I just think there's maybe too many notes in it. <laughs> Famously, yeah. There's too many notes, just remove a few. In fact, that's a quote we're still used to this day. It is, I know. Um, yeah, very good. Um, there we go. 2nd of January, the network television premieres of Sesame Street Presents Follow That Bird on BBC mm. One and the 1985 Madonna starring film Desperately Seeking Susan on BBC Two. Yeah, what do you make of them? Uh, I, well, I never knew there was a Big Bird movie, first off. Okay. But I have to be honest, I was I was, I was never a massive fan of uh, Sesame Street. So I probably I was probably too old by the time it showed over here to really it for for it, I wasn't its target audience. What for the Follow the Bird movie? You mean when it was uh, that? But I didn't. Was it on in the UK from around seventy three onwards? Yeah, you've written here. God, no, I don't remember. I don't remember seeing it back then. When was it on? Where was it on? Well, it was originally it was on ITV because on different regions, so it might be why you know sporadic viewage of it was on yeah. Saturday mornings a bit early on. But BBC turned it down originally. No, they turned it down because oh. they said it was, you know, who American or whatever. And so it ended up on ITV. But yeah, it was on there for quite an early time. I remember watching it in the very early 80s. Sesame Street broadcast dates in Britain, according to Wiki, gives Yorkshire 29th of March, 1982. Yeah, I was going to say, so it was early That's 80s. We, we didn't get it it's until I was 10. And I was too old for it. You're never too old for Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, I, but I remember watching it in... So I was living in Cleethorpes back then. That had been around 1980, so it must have, must have been on sporadically on regional TV at a certain point. Anyway, just by the by, I never liked the character of Big Bird, that's for sure, or his weird, miserable companion, elephant companion, Mr. Snuffleupagus. But I do like the Sesame Street mini sketches because they are very funny and basically Muppet Show. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good. yeah, and you've got Bert, yeah. Bert and Ernie and you know stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they were okay, I guess. Um, desperately, hey, seeking, desperately Seeking Susan, it's a... Uh, Odd film, and it? it's Rosanna Arquette in it mostly. It Branded as desperately seeking story, wasn't it? When it yeah, well, it became it became famous for Madonna, but it's it's it, what is it? It's uh, it's more of a Rose, it's Rosanna Arquette wanting to be like her, isn't she? She yeah yeah, yeah. she, she, she stumbles, and, bangs her head, and then sort of thinks that she is her. Yeah, and who's the guy? In it? Aaron, like Aaron what's his face? I can't remember. Oh, Aiden, someone or other in it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's very eighties film, mid eighties film. Famous for getting to the groove, wasn't it? That was from that was from that. It was, yes. There we go. Seventh uh, of January, the chart show moves from Channel Four to ITV. I never watched it. I, I watched it every week. Uh, it was great. Every Saturday lunchtime, it was cool. The good thing about it, some interesting things about this, it was because it was just videos, but it also it also had specialist charts on as well. So you would get the dance chart, you get indie charts, you get rock charts in the middle of it, and it was really the only chance to catch some more obscure indie and rock videos mm. on like. You know, this was on at half past 11 on a Saturday morning. So it was yeah, a so nice time to sort of catch, like, you get... I mean, I remember seeing stuff on there like Mega City 4. And bands, breakfast cereal. Yeah, with bands like that, you're like, oh, wow, cool. Interestingly, going to Wikipedia, the pop-up information snippets were presented as windows in a mock-up graphical user interface called HUD. In 1987, okay. this was replaced with the more familiar display, which featured a mouse pointer and icons generated on an Amiga computer. Huh. Um, although commonplace nowadays, such interfaces were relatively cutting edge at the time. The look of the IT- icons was updated on the move to ITV on 7th January 1989, and again upon the show's relaunch in 7th uh, December 91. It's part of a competition prize from Amiga Computing Magazine. Cool is that? Yeah. Not that cool, though, because that change only lasted one week. People complained and they went back to the original ones. <laughs> <laughs> I like to see what they look like, though. I'll have to chase them down. But yeah, so I, I always like that, that when you think about old technology, just like what we used to do when we were making our films on our national diploma and stuff, we'd add the Genlock mm. and an Amiga. We got them to yeah. buy one, didn't we, at the college? We and did, then we, yeah. we, we would overlay graphics and stuff onto it. What was that title software called that we used to use for that? I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. 
It was really good though. It was a good good yeah. bit of good bit of software that was. But yeah, so yeah, yeah. but that I mean it's just essentially just using an Amiga for different stuff in it. So it's kind of cool that that was kind of being used for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Eighth nice. of January, the original air date of the Only Fools and Horses episode, Yuppie Love, featuring a classic scene in which Del Boy falls through the bar. A two thousand six poll named the scene as the most popular of the entire series, while it was also named <laughs> the seventh greatest television moment of all time in a nineteen ninety nine Channel Four poll. No argument from me. No, it's genius. It's just, yeah. it's, it's so good. It's a it makes me like comedy. I see it even now. <laughs> it's it, it's it's the way. I mean, everyone's seen it. It's the way he falls. There's no bend. There's no bend. No. In his body he just goes down. He doesn't look or anything. He just falls. It's so good. It's perfection. It's it's yep. incredible. The timing yep. of the woman opening the bar behind him and just not noticing, yep. and you're just going, "Play it cool, Trig. Play it cool." And just falls. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's so funny. Yep. Um, but yeah, and as you said, they were Trigger's broom. I love Trigger's broom. Yep. <laughs> I still use that joke to this day. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Trigger's broom. For those who don't know, for, for those who haven't seen Only Fools and Horses, Trigger was a character in uh, Only Fools and Horses who was a little slow, shall we say, but he had a broom and he was up for an award for keeping his broom for uh, how, however many years. Yeah. Um, and he was going to get a lifetime achievement award for keeping this one broom. And they go, how long you had it? He goes, oh, 17 years. Well, it's 20 years, something like that. And it's really good. I've only had 14 heads and 17 different handles or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like a new broom. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's that, that, yeah, it's, it's such a, honestly, I've got a lot of love for Only Fools and Horses. It was a staple show to watch in our house. Yes, um, yeah. And I, I, and I can't think of anybody I know that doesn't like it. I, I can't. I can't think of anybody in the world I've ever met that doesn't no, like it. No, pinnacle of uh, British British sitcom. So good. Yeah. So good. I've not watched the musical in, in, that's in London at the minute. I've heard good things about that as well. But It went on too long. Yeah, the, it did the when, end, when, the, when It should have finished when they became millionaires. Bringing yeah. them back afterwards when they lost it all, so I think was a move, yeah. a, a bad, a bad move. But uh, the episode where Rodney as well has to pretend to be twelve years old because he won a cornflakes painting. <laughs> they got a holiday off it. That's always everything good. about it. The one with the, the <laughs> explodes in sex dolls and the all. This, it's just everything about it's <laughs> ba- brilliant. The, the Batman, and, Batman Robin. and Robin. Honestly, <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, you a swift Google of that show and you'll go on YouTube. You'll find all of them clips. Yeah. on you hear about that. Oh, only fools and horses, what a classic. 20th of January, BBC Two airs live coverage of the inauguration of George Bush as the 41st President of the United States. Who would even want to watch that? <laughs> not I. No. Who cared? No, Back then. No. 22nd of January, ITV launches an omnibus edition of Coronation Street, which airs on Sunday afternoons. But the repeat is not stranded across the network with different regions airing it at different times. Some regions, including Central, later move the episode to a Saturday afternoon slot, and the omnibus is dropped in some areas from September 1990. Yeah, I can stop see that. I mean, it was in uh, competition because there was EastEnders doing that by this point. Yeah, um, they so must EastEnders, have been. The EastEnders omnibus on the Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and there was another one. Didn't didn't um, Emmerdale do an omnibus at a certain point as well? I think they all started it, didn't they? Probably, so you could catch up on the whole week. I mean, my sisters loved it because they lived out in, in Canada, so they, they didn't get to see it regularly, so they saw the omnibuses on their PBS channel or whatever, and they were well into it. When it was on five nights a week, that's two and a half hours of EastEnders and Coronation. That's just yeah, too much. Yeah, some, pe- some people dig it. Not me, though. Too much. I don't know if they still do these. The um, the only person I would know is Mr. Brown Sauce. He'd probably know. Does he like stuff? Does he still watch Coronation Street? I, probably. Probably. Of course he does. I reckon he he will. Yeah. 24th of January, BBC One airs an episode of EastEnders featuring a mouth-to-mouth gay kiss between the characters Colin Russell and Guido Smith. The first time it was seen on British television. The scene causes uproar among viewers and in the press. Just get a life. Bloody hell, honestly. Move on. 
you can't imagine it, can you? Then nowadays, it's just like, can you imagine if you could go back in time and take a couple of episodes of modern television with you and show them to these audiences that were chomping at the bit and furiously writing angry letters to the BBC because of a gay kiss on these Enders? Could you imagine if you took a took one of the early episodes of Game of Thrones back and showed it showed it to Mary Whitehouse? <laughs> Yes, yeah, I think she'd, uh, she'd be flying her banners and sigils and getting getting a banner in her and then. <laughs> she really would. Yeah. I'll just go, look, this was on Head Pop. <laughs> <laughs> that was on, what, what, what video nasty is that from? No, nothing. It was just on HBO. Just Regular TV show, show, yeah. And that's, that, that's how we roll now. Yeah, yeah we're that's well we past roll. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So not a lot, not a lot in TV in the uh, grey month of uh, January. Oh, sorry. There's new shows. Loads of new shows. Actually, there's loads of new shows. Not, not, not a lot of these I've heard of. First of January, there was the dog. It was that died. Never heard of it. This was written for BBC Two Radio in 1982. And concerns the dilemma faced by a spy over who he actually works for. The play was also adapted for television by Stoppard and broadcast in 1988. I presume 1989 because it was first of January. Never, Never heard, heard of it. it. No. Nope. Uh, 3rd of January, Green Claws. Another one, no. Nope. A television children's series aired in BBC between 3rd of January and 6th February 1990. This is interesting because it starred Nick Mercer and Stella Goodyear, was written by Ursula Jones and directed by Adrian Mills. Hey, and produced by Christine it. Hewitt. You did it. It was a dog it was that did it. I, I had nothing to do with this. Nothing. I, I'm not having my name stuck to this. It was that guy off that's life who stole my life. Yeah, see what you say. See what you say. <laughs> Where were you that night? <laughs> what, 3rd of January? Probably around, <laughs> no, it wouldn't be around yours. Probably around at someone's house. I'll play number Commodore 64. 4th of January is Tom's Midnight Garden. Tom Long is staying with his uncle and aunt when their grandfather clock strikes 13. Tom makes a strange discovery. A portal to the past where only a friendly girl called Hattie can see him. It's adapted from a novel by Philippa Pierce. Mm, no, I'm not so sure. Sounds like a someone struggling with their puberty. That. Oh, you think it's an allegory, dear? Tom's Midnight Garden. Mm, okay. <laughs> So is it a metaphor? Yes. What did you find in your garden? Was the little worms there, Tom? Yeah, not good. <laughs> the big hand was pointing up. Exactly. It struck 13. Of course it did. Of course it did. <laughs> Fourth, uh, also on the 4th of January, the Dark Angel. Ooh, um, um, sounds ominous. It does. Uh, Maud Ruthin, a lovely and sensitive girl, is sent to stay with her uncle Silas Ruthin, a charismatic rogue who stands to inherit the family fortune should anything untoward happen to young Maud. With a mm. tyrannical Madame de la Rogier as her governess, Maud finds that the estate holds terrors beyond her imagining. Start mm. Peter O'Toole. There's the first terror beyond her imagining right there. <laughs> Peter O'Toole! <laughs> he, he played <laughs> Uncle Silas. Oh, gosh. I don't know anything more about this. No, no, should we ever? No, no, should we ever? It is dark. Fifth uh, January is Desmond's. I never got into this like yourself, but it's important though. This, yeah, yeah, um, it's totally. important shows. Channel Four um, sitcom, not the first sort of all black show that had been shown, but it was one of the very first sort of uh, sort of show. How were they? Sort of black people just being normal, just working, just being yeah, you know just, that. It was just a, it was just a, a show about people that happened yeah, no, to be black. No stereotypes in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that was, so it was kind of uh, important for the advance, advancement of diversity of representation on TV yes, um, in, in that respect. And and also as well, um, reading around about it, most of the uh, crew as well uh, were black as well. So it came That's from, um, you know, authentic sort good of diverse origins. origins, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and I think that and I think that's quite, you know, that was, you know, it was on Channel 4 and that was part of Channel 4's remit, wasn't it, to do yes, that sort was. of thing. And that's why it was good. 5th of January, though, also, Doobie Duck's Disco Bus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember this at all. Do you remember this? I hate Doobie Duck. 
and all it stands for. <laughs> yes, I do remember. I remember Doobie Duck. I remember Doobie Duck's <laughs> stupid band. I remember the stupid covers they used to do with a stupid band. Roger Stevenson, sh- you've got a lot to answer for because that was the guy that was the puppeteer. He was also the guy that was behind the Diddy Men. Oh, dear. So, and if you really want a terrifying proposition, just look at the picture that I've shown, put there of Doobie Duck. In fact, it's scary nothing will. And then go to the website, Roger Stevenson's website, and it's terrifying. <laughs> I'm not going. It's just a collection of, of puppets' eyes. It's really odd. Oh, so, that's, that's anyway. unpleasant. That sounds, yeah, like a, that sounds like a horror film waiting to happen. I mean, he's classed as a puppeteering genius, Roger Stevenson. Okay. Some say genius. Some say he created a really scary, massive headed duck. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. leave that to your imagination. I don't like it, though. You Even say potato. It, it freaks me out. I say massive headed duck. It's got red. What duck has red and black eyes? None. Exactly. I don't care how many bow ties they put on him. Something wrong with that duck. <laughs> Ducking evil, yeah. It's ducking evil. <laughs> oh, dear. 6th of January is Making Out, which is a British television series shown by the BBC. Uh, it was created by Frank Rodham, Debbie Horsfield. It mixed comedy and drama, and it's portrayed as the women who worked mm. on the factory floor at New Line Electronics in Manchester, tackling the personal lives of the characters as well as wider issues of recession, redundancy, and retrenchment as the factory goes through various crises and takeovers. The sound funny. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those very kitchen sink type, oh, right, sort okay. of like that. The humor comes from full Monty style humor. That yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that kind of British Ken Loach, where we find yeah, the humor yeah. in those. Okay. Oh, I slit its throat. That sort of that, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the interestingly, the soundtrack to this was done by the other two, who are the couple out of uh, New Order. Okay. I thought you were going to say Doobie Duck then. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> we're making out. <laughs> Doobie Duck's got that kind of accent though. He's like, that isn't it. Let's, let's go. Let's Doobie Duck everyone. <laughs> Which would have fitted, yeah. And then you just hear a shotgun sound and then they'd be like, oh no. <laughs> and then that dog would pick it up from a duck hunt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the dream. That's the dream. That is the dream. Uh, 6th of January is Round the Bend. I've never heard this, but I had a watch of it. The program was created by the team behind the comic Oink. Yeah, I've read that. Interesting. So it's weird. I don't remember ever seeing it, though. No, the puppets, animated characters, and main sewer set were designed by uh, Gallagher. It's Patrick Gallagher, who was also the program's graphic designer. The puppets were made by the team who made the ones for, for Spitting Image. It was a satirical parody of Saturday morning magazine shows with a host providing linking material between cartoons, music videos, and news reports, albeit set in a sewer. The animated sketches were produced by Catalyst Pictures, who made the crudely drawn cell animations and Admin Animations. Yeah. Interesting. They made the clay animated serials. Weirdly enough, I've, there's a link here. I've, I've linked to one of them. They did a, a Wee Man and the Master. Of I the Looney yeah. yeah, I watched that. Yeah. <laughs> we man, I've come for you, skeleton face. That made me laugh quite a bit. Yeah, the little toaster guy made me, all the names <laughs> yeah. of the stupid characters. Yeah. They got that down to, down yeah, to a fine art there. Yeah, so that uh, didn't make me laugh. I have no memory of this, though. None. No. Don't remember it all. 7th of January, Superboy. Uh, did you see the in- intro for it? <laughs> I did not watch this. No, I, I may need to. It's exactly as you will remember it to be, only for some reason he looks like a really ugly John Travolta. <laughs> That's going some. I never <laughs> thought John Travolta was a particularly handsome man. That was the problem. But for some reason, they decided to make a Superboy version, and that's not a boy, <laughs> is it? Sorry, but it's not. That's clearly no, a guy. No, no, that's that's, Amer- that's an American boy. In, that's American TV <laughs> teenager. Oh, when they're right, all okay. when they're all thirty one, like Luke Perry in Baywatch, say, yeah, Baywatch. Luke Perry <laughs> in thingy. <laughs> uh, what was it? Not Baywatch. What was the Beverly Hills Nine or Two? Beverly Hills. That's the one. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I don't really remember this at all. No, but I imagine it was crap. Um, I thought well, did it did it have any link to what's its face, um, Lois and Clark? Or no, I don't. It's part of the more traditional Superman universe, but that's as much as I know. 
All right. Um, so it was it was based on the comic book character of Superboy, and so there is one. But I I tune out at Super, you know, Superman. Fine. After that, Super Things, Girl, Super Boy, Dog, Dog, Cat, whatever. No Antelope, not me. Fuck for me. No. Eighth um, of January is Agatha Christie's Poirot. This ran right. for twenty four years. Still going. <laughs> Can't be stopped. Did a re- there was a movie of Poro not that long ago. Really? The, murder, the train one, yeah, with... Um, wow. I can't remember who it was who played him now. A famous British actor played him. Not David Suchet? You on about? No, no, no. It was, a fi- it was a feature film. Oh, the Poirot. Yeah, no, it was uh, Kenneth Branagh. You on about the Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh, Branagh ones? Because yeah, yeah. they're remaking the, the film ones. They're, they're doing the uh, Death on the Nile, mm. Mirror yeah, no, Express. Still, they're still going with these Poirot mysteries. Yeah, the Poirot ones. Like but that. this one, the David Suchet one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's well popular. He was good yeah. at it as well. Uh, my mum loved this. She, she watched it religiously on ITV3 when it was just constantly on yeah can imagine ran for 13 series 70 episodes and each episode was adapted from a novel or short story by christie that featured poirot the program's conclusion which finished with curtain poirot's last case every major literary work by christie that featured the title character had been adapted pretty, that's lot. unusual they don't only do everything do they that's no. pretty unusual that's that. obviously why it ended because they'd run out they run out yeah <laughs> no, run so out. it turns out that uh Christie had been murdered by somebody in a library with a <laughs> candlestick and they couldn't figure out who did it. But uh, unfortunately, she didn't write it down, so Poirot couldn't couldn't work it out. The only person who could have solved it was a fictional character, but since she died, she couldn't create the next one to figure it out. Nope. The irony of it all, really. Yeah, absolutely. It it's the, uh, we call it the Christie dilemma. <laughs> the paradox, yeah, the Christie paradox. Christie paradox, yeah. <laughs> Someone is killed and the only person who can figure it out is the fictional character that they created. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it, the Christie paradox. Um, 13th of January is a bit of a do. I saw a few of them. Um, they were kind of chuckle television, not size splitty, sort of, you know, sort of light comedy drama, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, they were, it was David Jason again, wasn't it? Yeah, it's heavily marketed on the back of David Jason as well at that point. Yeah, yeah, it was because it was, each episode was a, a bit of a do, wasn't it? It was like a yeah, celebration to do. Yeah, so, so it was a wedding or a, a wake or a christening yeah, yeah. or birthday. Yeah, yeah. Or, exactly that. Yeah, and so everyone happened, was. You know. Yeah, and it went from there. Thirteenth yeah. of January, uh, a bit of Fry and Laurie. Yeah, good little sketch show. Yeah. So this was uh, Cambridge Footlights members Fry and Hugh, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. As in the two runnings, elaborate wordplay and innuendo were staples of its material. Frequent growth. Yes, before. they were. Yeah. <laughs> Characters would revert into their real-life actors mid-sketch. The camera would often pan off set into the studio. In addition, the show was punctuated with non-sequitur voc pops in a similar style to the Flying Circus, often making irrelevant statements heavily based on wordplay. It was it was very wordy, wasn't it? I seem to remember it being very It was very, very wordy. wordy. I think that's Steve, the Stephen Fry part. And it's also pretty physical for for Hugh Laurie. He was often getting hit with things and clipped across yeah. the ear and whacked by by Stephen Fry, as I recall. Yeah. Well, they would go on to do Jeeves uh, and Wooster, wouldn't they? Jeeves and Wooster, yeah. And, I mean, they were, they were quite a good double act for a while, Fry and Laurie, I thought. Yeah, I did as well. 16th of January, Press Gang. Never watched an episode of it, but I, for some reason I know that Dexter Fletcher was in it. Dexter Fletcher was in that, yes. I did watch some of them when it first started, but I think it was very... It, it was of that kids being far too knowing for what kids are being far too just annoying. Yeah. Julie Sawali was in it as well. She was the she was the lead of the head of the press gang, the, the paper they were making. She was uh, the daughter in Absolutely Fabulous, Ab Fab. Absolutely, um, and he was, he's a quite a big director now, of course, isn't he? What Dexter, Dexter Fletcher? Fletcher? Yeah, he well, directed well, Rocket Man, I think. Well, yeah, okay, I remember him mostly from the Rachel papers, but there you go. Well, you would remember him for that. But yeah, he's, he's, he's directed quite a few films and been in quite a few, hasn't he? So. Yes, yeah, yeah, he does quite a lot. Twenty second of January was Campion. No, another, another. I think is this another uh, Peter Davison's Albert Campion? It's another yeah, one of those converted mysteries. One. This seems to be peak conversion of 
you know, written detectives getting made Absolutely. into TV shows. Some bloody names in that one, though, isn't there? Well, Brian Glover. As manservant, Magus Fontaine Lug. <laughs> Lug. yeah, I read that And earlier. Andrew Burt as his policeman friend, Stanilaus Oates. <laughs> well, what? Yep, who Can knows? Can called anything? Be called Magus Fontaine. There's a good name, Magus Fontaine Max. Lug. It'd be Max, wouldn't it? Call me Max, will you? Be Max, yeah. <laughs> this is rumour control. Twenty <laughs> fifth um, January, young Charlie Chaplin. Ugh, no, don't, don't remember anything about it. Twenty eight, massive fan of old Charlie Chaplin. So, <laughs> uh, I was always more a fan of middle aged Charlie Chaplin. That's when I think he was at his peak. Twenty <laughs> eighth uh, of January, finally, is Midnight Caller. I remember it, but I don't remember ever watching one because it never appealed to me. The the whole sort of you know shock jock type talk show thing. Yeah, there was a slew of films. There was this things like talk radio as well at the time, wasn't there? I think yeah, this was around that around that time because we did we didn't have anything like that, did we? Talk radio that came on to Britain on the back of some of these things. I think because we did, we ended up with talk radio and stuff, didn't we? With yeah, I mean was James Whale and people. James, like that, I was going to say James right? Whale was he? A, he must have been around at this point, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, and he was. Um, it's not on TV yet. It must be imminent. It must be on radio. Yeah, but, at he, this but, point but he was somewhere. on radio. Definitely, he was on. He was on. He was. You could Google it. I'm pretty sure he's on probably talk radio, or it would start. It must be starting any time now. Yeah. So that sort of that kind of yeah, like you know ring, ring in chat show and say outrageous things and stuff, which would obviously Absolutely. sort of peak with people like Howard Stern and stuff like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, completely, totally. But I don't know. And if you want to watch stuff. a really good film based around that with some weirdness, go and watch Pontypool because it's brilliant. It is indeed. I thought you were going to say Private Parts then, the Howard Stern film, which is actually quite good as well. That is also but, good. Yeah. Yeah. That was good as well. But yeah, didn't this this one end off with uh, his catch line? What was it? Good night, America, wherever you are, or something. I seem to yeah, remember that. Something like, yeah, there was some. There was it was the Nighthawk, wasn't it? There was some. There was some tagline he came out it, with. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Midnight Caller. On to films. There were four released on the sixth of January. War Requiem. Uh, Derek Jarman movie. No thanks. No, not for me. Something called Souvenir. Not heard um, of that one. Partnered with novelties, party tricks. <laughs> Souvenirs, novelties. <laughs> you forgot your fake dog poo. What? what? Fake, dog, fake poo. dog poo. And now I've clapped. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone everywhere. <laughs> Uh, also, if you didn't fancy either of those two, why would you? Uh, you could go and see Young Guns. I, I haven't watched that in ages, actually. Do, do you remember much about it? I don't. I remember the stylization of it, but I, don't remember I, a lot I about remember it. the second one got a lot bigger reception. I think than the first yeah. one. People seem to go yeah. a lot bigger. Was it because the second one ha- did that have the did Bon Jovi stuff in Blaze of Glory and stuff? Was that the second one? Was that the first one? I don't know. I think it might be the first one, but you'd have to do a quick check on that. Could be wrong. Let's have a look. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the it's. It, it's essentially it's the uh, it's Wild West Brat Pack, isn't it? Yeah, 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 totally. So it's Mini West first Keith Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips. They're this rough, you know, Charlie Sheen. Uh, it's the story of Billy the Kid and stuff, isn't it? Uh, William yeah. H. Bonnie, Doc, you know, uh, Doc. What's his name? Keith it's a very stylized retelling of their this story about them with you know with the brat, like you say, the Brat Pack version of the time. So yeah, um, I can't remember. I'm sure. I know because obviously the Bon Jovi song was in one of them. Well, the song's, Glory the song's called Young Guns, isn't it? There's a song by them called Young Guns. They call them Young. It would have had a much different feel if it had been the Wham song. Yes. Young Guns are having some fun. <laughs> Crazy lazy <laughs> keep them on the run. <laughs> see, that, that, that's, a, that's a mashup I'd like to see. The, the, Death that one by too. matrimony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Charlie, just Dermot Mulrooney was Dirty Steve Stevens. But I don't know much about the story of it other than it's about cowboys. Well, it's about Billy the Kid, isn't it? Because I think, yeah, don't he get killed cowboys. in it? And then so he's not in the second one? Is he in the second one? I have no one? idea. I have no I idea. Again, remember. it's that long since I watched it, I can't remember. Yeah. Also, if you fancied something completely different, 
You could have gone and seen Dead Ringers. Good. This is uh, David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Uh, oddly enough, this has just been turned into a TV show with Rachel Weisz as the lead okay. instead of Jeremy Irons. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. This show is brought mm-hmm. to you by Amazon Prime. I've not watched this in a long time. Um, the thing what I remember about this and sort of watching a couple of clips, some very clever early split screen special effects in this. It's uh, the shots of the twins on screen together. because the, the, Basically, the film is... If you haven't seen it, it's a film about two twins who are sort of surgeons and they're preoccupied with some quite odd surgery, body horror surgery. Cronen- it's a Cronenberg film, so you kind of you know what to expect. And they're very sort of almost, they're not Siamese, but they're very, very joined. Yeah, they're gynecologists. They're very, very joined as in thingy. And then there's a, one of them falls for falls in love and that, that woman comes between them and it all kind of spirals out of control from there. And the shots of the twins, twins on screen together, because they're both played by Jeremy Irons, were accomplished through one of the first uses of computer-controlled moving matte photography. It's good. I mean, it's not in, it's not the, you know, it's not Back to the Future 2 good, but it is pretty good from there. Yeah, there's some clever. Yeah, there's some clever stuff in Back to the Future two and three, but this is another very Incredibly clever, amazing stuff in that. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's all pretty good. Um, and of course, it's got lots of you know kinky shit in it. It has, yes, it's very much that sort of ilk. It's not my favorite Cronenberg film. It's not one of my favorites. No. But it's okay. It's okay. And remember that I think it said. I think Jeremy Iron said that he played the one character with one pair of shoes. I think he said that. I can't remember if he said the picture, when he played one of the brothers. He put shoes on that were too small, so it made him walk slightly differently. So he had a slightly different gait. Yeah. which made him feel like a different character, stuff like that, which is, you know, a sign of a good actor. Yeah, he played one with on the balls of his feet and one going backwards yeah, something or something. like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going backwards. I don't know, resting backwards. Well, if you're on the balls of your feet, I assume that means you're on your... I thought you meant he was like tippy, walking backwards on the set, like, oh, I wish he'd walk <laughs> forwards because it's just confusing everybody. It's so hard to act with somebody that acts backwards. Yeah, he made everyone call him as well, uh, Jer- Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy uh, Zinks. <laughs> God's sake. So he can feel two different people. <laughs> we'll call him Jeremy, would that? That's not even his character's name. Yeah, but so he could get into it. Um, Jeremy Zinks today. <laughs> call me by my actual name. That'll help me get into character. It's <laughs> <laughs> how all the it's how all the best actors work. It's the totally method. I get it. It's a weird method, but I like it. <laughs> it's the only method. It's the only method Jeremy Irons and Jeremy Zinks could get into. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Zinks. That's his Mexican non-bloody non-union equivalent. Uh, and weird enough, that was the very that was the only metal first metal that came to my head first. <laughs> Zinc of all the metals you could just any metal out there, aluminium. Uh, yeah, no, but it's too long. It needed to be four letters. Yeah. <laughs> Zinc, honestly. Jeremy Zinks. Right. Okay. <laughs> Random. Uh, a week later, you could have uh, gone and seen Red Heat, thirteenth yeah, January. You could, have, you could have done that, and I did. This was one of the first, uh, not the first, but certainly I was underage to go see this because it was an 18. So I went to see this on my own at the cinema. I convinced them I was 18 with my strong mullet and bum fluff moustache. They wouldn't question you, Matt and Grimsby. <laughs> no one would. I don't, I don't I remember not being particularly impressed with it. It's got a weird, I watched the uh, intro to it earlier on. I, thought, I had a look at the intro. It's a very, very bizarre intro in that sort of steam Russian steam yeah. room thing, and then there's that fight out in the snow with just Annie and these other two big guys, and just nothing but sort of, uh, sort of groin towels. Yeah, but, micro towels. Yeah, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. The sound effects are so over the top; it's just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's awful. Film. It's dreadful. There's lots yeah. of uh, uh, and the, uh, the kind of Annie grunts, which can only mean we've got the game coming soon. Ugh. The game? Yeah, oh, the, the game. Oh, yeah, game. yeah, yeah. There's a ready game. Yes, that is coming. Where it's all played from just the waist up. <laughs> Thank God. I seem to remember. You want, would you want a plate from the waist down only? <laughs> the, the only Commodore 64 game was micro towels. <laughs> and schwanstuckers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Anyway, what do you think of this film? I haven't watched it in ages and ages and ages, and there's a reason for that. 
I don't remember it being very good at all. I remember it being, I, I actually remember liking Jim Belushi because I quite like Jim Belushi as a, you know, an actor at this time. He was in quite a few things, mm. but uh, I d- don't particularly remember Red Heat for it. It's not one of the great Arnie films that you remember, is it? You know, it's in, it's in the list, but it's not, it's not a running man or it's not a predator or any of that. No, it's not, it's not, it's not camp enough to be running man. No, he's deadly serious and it should really have been played by um, the guy that played Ivan Drago, shouldn't it really? I mean, Dolph if you're Lundgren. Get a guy, Dolph Lundgren should really have been that guy in Red Heat, but I'm, yeah, perhaps yeah. there was some weird casting shenanigans going on there. Yeah, probably. But yeah, it's not one of Arnie's best. It's kind of, it's in that, it's not, it's not raw deal bad, but no. it's, it's not, it's not Hercules. <laughs> no, it's true. 20th of January, after Arnie, you could have gone seen Tom Cruise in Cocktail. Ugh. God, this film. Yeah, I don't like this. I never got on with it. You mean you don't want to have a drink at Cocktails and Dreams? No, it's t- there's too much drink throwing for my liking, which obviously is, <laughs> you know, to do with it. Um, there's barely any plot. There's more drink throwing than plot. This is full is. on high concept, no depth, eight is shallowness. There, it's Absolutely basically there to it push is. an actor and, some, and a soundtrack. I couldn't find out if this was one of the films that was in the famous deal that they struck. What, the Don, Don, what, the Days Simpson of Thunder? Simpson and Bruckheimer, yeah. They took a famous $300 million film deal with the studio and then just said, look, just make us a series of films and it was all on the back of Top Gun, I think. Yeah. The Days of the Thunder came out of that and I have a feeling Cocktail may or may, or may, may, or may not be one of them. I could be wrong, but or is it something to do with it? But it's Tom Cruise acting like an obnoxious arsehole and Brian Brown, the ugly crocodile Dundee of film. <laughs> <laughs> being all womanizery and schmoozy it's like no. everyone likes yeah, him in yeah, F- yeah. fx murder yeah, by illusion yeah. yeah he's good in that but he's not good in this it's just he just comes over as a sleazy demure it's not very nice no no it's cock- cocktail it's just it's it's a it's a froth of a film it's nothing to it is there nothing and no. it's just tom cruise coming of age a bit isn't he he's going stepping out of risky business mode into cruise the man as opposed to cruise the boy yeah yeah, just look so. at look how well I can toss a drink. Yeah, not for, not loads me. of that in that. Not is this that other me. film? Like a, what's the other one where it's set in a bar where they're throwing drinks around like that? I forget, it's them. The women one. Um, yeah, where she sings on the singing all the time. Yeah. Oh, it begins with a C, doesn't like it? Coyote Ugly. Isn't Coyote it? Like, Ugly, that's the one, yeah. It's like, a, it's like an early version of that. Yes, yes, it probably is. 27th of January, Gorillas in the Mist. Uh, yes, it's a, a biopic. Have you written there? Yeah, Yeah, biopic. it's a biopic. Uh, Diane Fossey, who was a campaigner for the protection and the stopping of uh, hunting and killing uh, wild gorillas. Mm. Um, she, so from about 1966 to 1985, she was in Africa and she was trying to stop the, essentially the poaching, you know, illegal poaching, poaching trade, uh, yeah. poaching trade of gor- gorillas where the, you know, the, the actual number of gorillas went down to about 250 left. Um, yeah. And she was Wasn't very much thinking that. And then, and then one, one night she was killed. She was murdered in a hut. Uh, she was found in the morning, um, nice. hacked, hacked in the face with a machete. Oh, goodness. Which is quite quite unpleasant. Um, but this mm. is the byproduct that has starred Sigourney Weaver in the titular role. Um, uh, well, not titular role, but the Diane Fossey role. Again, this starred Brian Brown, a double, double Diane Brian Brown week. I know, here he is. I mean, the one thing that struck me about that, I mean, as, as horrific as, as that is a story, you know, she spent her entire life looking, after, looking out for them gorillas. Where were they when she, you know, where were they when she needed them? Well, the guy, supposedly, I know, but supposedly they found a hole in the wall where the attacker had got the way in. There was a guy who was committed for it, but oh, he was God. committed, uh, he was uh, convicted in absentia because they couldn't find him or something, but they're yeah. not quite sure. But um, since then, however, I think the gorilla population has gone up. There is a big foundation for, you know, anti-poaching and all that stuff. So, and there's a, there's a fossil. Good, so good things came so good things did come of it all but this is and i think this film won quite 
this might have done quite well at the Oscars as well, but maybe not. Is Amadeus? I don't know. No, it would have. Done. I think it did do quite well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite well regarded. This film, I think. Same day and completely at the opposite end of the spectrum. Just a bit. Um, is Phantasm Two? <laughs> what a glorious film Phantasm Two is. <laughs> It's, it's glorious. It's one of those where you just don't you don't you. I mean, at least it had conversations happening in the same room, unlike the first film, where Some. every line where every line was <laughs> delivered in a different room <laughs> when conversations were happening. It was a way to avoid uh, complicated issues around, uh, around continuity. continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't yeah, need just continuity. Film every sentence in an alternative location. And Don Coscarelli, of course, famously made Phantasm on fifty six pence and a packet of crisps, <laughs> and then um, he got two bags of crisps. Phantasm 2 and some bigger silver marbles they, they upped the budget but you know to the tune of I think a, a, you know, a couple of million maybe for <laughs> Phantasm 2 a dime bar and um, so you know he but the thing I like about Don Coscarelli films especially Phantasm 2 is that the money that he got he didn't squander that money every single cent is in that screen <laughs> The house blows up there's a fancy car he's got a four barreled quad shotgun there's more, they up the ante and all the gore and the effects of this, these, these silver balls. The story of Phantasm 2, the story of Phantasm, is impossible to explain what that's about. <laughs> Even if you try, you sound like you're a crazy person. Yes. A grave robbing tall man, ice cream sniffing tall man who has an army of midgets from another dimension is taking people to be crushed into midgets, I think. <laughs> and he also has an army of silver robot balls at his command. Which drain, which sort of suck your brains out if they yeah like, they, they drill into you and pump out all of your blood via you know your brain which, hole. Which that weapon, that thing, would go on to be quite clearly the cerebral bore in Turok Two on the N sixty four. Which if you was say a so, thing. I'll take your word for well, it. It, was, it was a gun that you sort of aimed at people and it homed in on their heads, then chucked into their head, and then just basically just sprayed their brains out. Yeah, it's totally taken from that. So that would led to that clearly. I mean, like of all phantasm movies, and there's I think five or six of them. I think it's quite a few. There's a lot here, but with this particular one, there's a real weird. There's a really un. Oh, Phantasm One and Phantasm Two. They're both. You know, I really like them because of their because of their cheapness and because they're weird. There, there is no allusion to what they are in those things. They just throw in weird scene after weird scene that really doesn't make a lot of sense at all. But it doesn't ever try to make sense. No. Like, there is this really weird nihilistic end of the world kind of thing happening in that. All the graves are being emptied, and no, nobody seems to really know why. These entire towns that have been completely wiped out and deserted. And you've got uh, Reggie and, and Co. sort of traveling around, trying to make sense of this world where they're being followed by this sort of weirdness, and they end up going in mausoleums and being attacked. It's just a genuine sense of really unusual stuff going on in those films. And I like it for that. Yes, it's on a shoestring budget, and yes, it, you know, the script is shocking, and yeah, it's really dumb in places, really dumb. But it doesn't try and wrap anything up in anything other than that. It is a low-budget horror movie, and it really loves being one. And there's some amazing sequences in that, considering the money it was made on. From that same sort of school of thinking as your evil deads. Mm-hmm. And whether you like them or not, you look back at them now with a modern lens, and you go, oh, my gosh, this you know, they're terrible. And maybe they are in one sense. But this has got a really great soundtrack. It's got a really talented director, Don Coscarelli, and, and, and certainly for what he pulls together. And a genuine eye for interesting horror things. And that's what I like about it. In a way that I quite like the first Hellraiser for the same reason, because there's a genuine oddness about it. Hate 
some parts of it, but there's parts that I just, you know, I remember, you know, the, the first time they go into the weird dimension and you see this weird creatures and the dwarfs running around the house and him having to blow his house up to get away. Just stuff like that I really like. Did you, have you watched Quirky the new stuff? ones? I've seen them all, yeah. So the one in two, have you seen the, there's an animated one? I've not seen an animated one, but From the last one I watched. 2017, which is a direct sequel to Phantasm 2. Yeah, they don't get better. <laughs> <laughs> the last one um, is Van Ravager, I think is the last one. Yeah, that's the that's the last one I saw. I think it. The, yeah, two thousand sixteen. They, they sort of. They, I mean, these that one I think was crowdfunded. I think that's Kickstarter funded. Um, oh really? Because a lot of the you know these fan, Phantasm and Phantasm Two gamed a massive cult following. You know, yeah. they, they're hugely popular in Cultsville, uh, and you can sort of see why they've got cult written all over them. The later ones, Phantasm Three, was quite good in its own way, but they they try then try and advance the story in ways that. You don't need to. You don't need to. There is weirdness in all of them, but you don't need to try and advance what they're doing. And, you know, they're just trying to add more depth to things that simply didn't have any depth. And that was the appeal. <laughs> the minute you do that, you start to you start to lose a little bit of the what made them a phantasm movie. The cheapness and the weirdness is what I really like about them. Mm-hmm. And always have, but they're not for everyone. They're certainly not for everyone. No. And they're certainly very different to uh, Gorillas in the Myth. <laughs> yeah. You, what, not, you were still in the cinema looking at which one should we go and see? Um, that depends on how you're going to be perceived after that you <laughs> yeah. have to make that make that decision if you t- if you're taking your girlfriend out do you want to be perceived as the caring gorilla guy or the crazy horror guy are you going to be yeah one's going to uh, keep your relationship i think going and one's going to end it <laughs> <laughs> you decide which <laughs> yeah it's up to you there you go that was it that's film and tv for january 1989 um i hope you enjoyed that there was some interesting stuff there we're going to go away take a quick break we'll be back we've got how many games we've got four more games still to get through haven't we we do. Four more games still to get through. Crapverts as well. We've got Crapverts um, from January. So we'll be back in a moment. So please do stay around. And we're back. We're back with four more games. Let's get into them. Let's waste no time. Our first one, Graham. Let's take a risk. Is risk. Um, anyone for a quick game of risk? No. Is there ever such a thing? <laughs> no. It was an in joke. Me and Pete always used to say, my friend Pete, you always used to say to each other, what should we do tonight? Quick game of risk? <laughs> no. no. There's no such thing as a quick game of risk. <laughs> anyway, it's another week. Another board game adaptation for the Christmas market. Remember, all these games were probably coming out just before Christmas, 1988. So it's like, uh. so you know, this is going on that that thought of why get the dull cardboard version of the game. Bits go missing. No one knows where all the dice are. You can have the shiny computer version where the bits never go missing and dice are plentiful. Well, in the case of Risk, there are a few reasons to get the board game variant. I would ever, I would argue over this one but we'll get to those in a bit. Uh, This was released under Virgin Games, produced by the Gang of Five, uh, coding done by Tony Smith, and graphics by Nicole Baikaloff. For those who do not know what Risk is, let me educate you with this from the grand source of all knowledge, Wikipedia. Risk was invented by French film director Albert Lamoris and originally released in 1957 as La Conquête du Monde, which is the conquest of the world. That was released in France. It was bought by Parker Brothers and released in 1959 with some modification to the rules as Risk, the continental game, then then following that as Risk, the game of global domination. And that's what Risk is. The game is played by two to six players and tasks each player generally, with taking over the world with their own forces and armies. Um, so this is a board game. You put stuff down. The board that this is played on has 42 territories covering a, a map of the world, an entire map of the world. So it's not all the countries. Some countries are grouped together and blah, blah, But you've got 42 different ter- territories that cover this, uh, cover the map of the world. And now I'm not going to go into all the rules of risk here, all right? It's just, I'm just not. Otherwise, we'll be here for quite a while. I'm not going yeah, to do that. Suffice to, yeah, suffice to say, it's a game of strategy where the aim is to grow your empire 
and basically destroy everyone else and just take over the world. That's what you've got to do. So the C64 version, well, it takes a while to load, this one. Uh, it, it comes in both a disc variant and cassette variant. So for most of this review, I'll talk about the disc variant. If I, I'll mention any differences for the tape version at the end um, or as we go through. Upon loading, we agree with a partial view of the world that, that so that, that takes up the majority of the screen and that's on the left of the screen. It's, it's an odd layout, but you, you kind of get, yeah, so it's a zoomed in, view of part of the world part of the world map on the right is a compass and a representation of the cards using the game that, that you can use and there's some options across the top which are setup play cards and information uh, at this stage only setup can be chosen and this allows you to play variations of the game such as a standard game you can set custom variants you can play the uk or you can play the us version of the game all have slightly different rules and things that are going on um and stuff like that you can also opt for a long or short versions of the game um, and even if you play the short version of the game and you finish it in what you need to do, you can actually then opt to carry on to the long version, takeover, whatever. You can also opt to whether they have continuous or separate attacks. That don't quite work as well as you think it might do. I'll come to that in a bit. You can reverse the map scroll if you want to. I don't know why you would. Um, and if you play a custom game, there are more options to fine-tune your risk experience. But I'll be honest, I just went into a standard game. Dang. So I'm, I'm not that much of a risk aficionado, whatever, it's risk. Uh, so you click OK, ask you how many players you want, and this affects the number of armies you get to place. So you get less armies the more people are playing at the start of the game. So after you input a name, you select whether this is human or computer player. You can you know, have all computers if you want, or you can just have one, one person. You're up to six. You need at least two. So you can have one player, human and play against five computer opponents that's okay um and they come each compute one can be set to have uh, one of three levels of skill level one two or three i presume one is dumb as a post three is you know a bit cleverer i guess um after that and you select your color for each player as well so what you're going to take over and then from there you to you can set it depending on what variant you've taken you can you get to either select the territories that you wish to start with or the computer will randomly assign territories to each player and we'll go through them once they've all been picked or assigned you then any extra units you have because each each uh area takes one unit you place one of your armies in there then once everything's chosen you can then reinforce your territories that you own with extra armies depending on where you are on the, you know what you want to place and where you want to put your strength that's how this game is played it's onto the game and this is just follows pretty much the standard format of risk so players you get you're reinforced you get more you get uh, reinforcements and no, more number of armies and you can place them where you want depending on how many territories you control um, and that also depending on whether you own entire continents or sections you get sort of a, a, a boost should we say to the how many you get in you can then choose to um, attack enemy territories and in doing so you get to decide how many dice you want to throw so there's three for an attack for in risk you throw you can throw up to three dice for an attack two if you're defending it's up to you how many you want to roll but you have to have at least three when you're attacking to roll three dice and you have to have at least three when you're defending to roll two dice because you, you, you you've got to keep one in there or it's the other way around i can't remember which it's risk the basic rules of risk apply so whether you roll the dice who wins which ones it's how many uh, how many enemies you kill or how many you lose until the attacking's done that's what it is so essentially this is the turn of the thing everyone takes a turn you choose where you want to attack whether you win or lose you go through the process and then you reinforce and repeat and rounds go on and games go on and that's that's it it's, it's it um that's that's risk and the, you know, so the basic rules of risk apply here if you want a computer version of risk i guess this plays an acceptable game of risk it's okay yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it's it the question, but the question as with all these um, conversions is how does it compare to the original, to the board game? And I think in that regard, this does lose out in one really meaningful way. 
and that's the map. The main issue is the amount of map that you can see at any one time, which is not a lot. So the map itself is probably, you can scroll around it, but it's about four times bigger than the viewing area in both directions. So the way you move this around, you can either move your sword, you've got a sword as your cursor as you're sort of choosing what to do, to the edge of the map so you can move it up, top, you know, up, bottom, left or right, and it will then flick a whole screen in that direction. Okay, so if you go, keep going to the right, flick four times and it will loop back round, down to the bottom, it'll four times so it's like 16 squares make up the map but you can only see one of them at any given moment alternatively you can click on the compass that's on the ui and this allows you to quite slowly very slowly and quite jerkily scroll the map around because it basically gives you a sort of your joystick becomes yeah. a scroll and it sort of character scrolls around so it's quite jerky which is quite unpleasant to look at but you can fine-tune it a bit and, and whatever but it's not very nice to look at so you can scroll around, around so you, you, know, you get to the part of the map you want to go to in the disc version you can see a map of the world, but this is a separate load for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know why. It, it takes ages to load as well. It just gives you a map of the world and then you go back to the game. It's like that. And so because it's a separate load, that option is omitted from the tape version, which seems odd. Um, mm. I couldn't see much else difference in the tape version, but that definitely is gone. There's probably yeah. maybe some other, other differences as well. So because the thing is, seeing the board, it's a rather important you know, seeing the board as a whole is rather is rather important risk. Yeah, it's critical. And only being able to see a fraction of it reduces the tactical information available to you because you kind of got to remember where everything is when you go into making moves and how you're moving and what you want to take over and how you want to progress and where you want to advance or stay stay strong or whatever. Add to that that moving around is, as I said, clunky, slow, and jerky. And just playing this game suddenly feels more awkward than it should do and a lot more awkward than the board game which is all that information right out in front of you at all times. You're looking at the board. It's got all the map on it, and you can see all the enemies, every territory, how many are in them. It's all information that's there. So that's a big downer on this version. There's also the issue of how you attack. So to, to attack anything, you have to go to the play menu, scroll it down to attack, then select where from, so what territory you want, and that may mean scrolling the board around and stuff, where you want to attack to, and then it'll start rolling dice. Now, even if you press continuous attack, it will fault, you know, if the attack falters, so if you lose, it'll stop. It'll go, no, attack stopped. But I told you just continue. If I say continue, then just keep going. If you do this, you've got to then go back to the menu and select continue attack, which then continues the attack. If you lose again, it stops again. This soon becomes very laborious, having to go back to a menu, select something, back to a menu, select something. I don't know why this one just simply set to the A key. You could have just pressed A to attack and then selected you where you wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then a simple, you know, because you say A, and then if the, if the attack falters, do you wish to continue attacking? Yes or no? I would have simplified that entire process from a sort of UI layout interaction interface, you know, way of doing it. You're like, okay, you've lost a couple there. Do you want to keep attacking here? Yes, thanks. Keep going. Right, okay. You've lost another one. Do you want to go? Yes. Not having to send me back to that bloody menu, find the attack option, do it again, falter, back to the menu, find it. It's, it's, it's a pain. So it makes what is already quite a slow game, quite a jerk game, even slower and more awkward to play. So, yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, there's not much more to say. It's an admirable attempt to bring risk to the C64. The ability to play against the computer does offer something over the board game because you can, you know, if you're if you're into risk and you want to play, you know, it's sometimes can be hard to get people to, you know, get in on a game of risk. So if you're really into it, you've got the opportunity to play six player game with five, against five computer people. But the interface and the slow and jerkiness of the visuals uh, don't entice you to play this for long. It gets just gets a bit wearing, I think. So for me, this is certainly one, you know, where we quite like the Trivial Pursuit one because it offers something a bit different. This is certainly one where the board game, I think, would be far more preferable than this version, even if you could play it in single player. But 
yeah, it's okay, but it's just let down by some UI problems for me. What did you think? Same. Pretty much exactly the same. I mean, it's been a long while since I played Risk. It was one of the family board games that we had back in the day. That was when you had family board games, you know, that the whole family would at a certain point play. You know, it's in the same... You had some kind of timeshare in them, didn't you, as a kid here? Monopoly, Cluedo, Payday, Game of Life, Scrabble, Chess and Risk. They were kind of the you know, the family stalwart games that you had, a, you know, you had them. Yeah. Um, so it, it would have found its way at least once or twice to our dining room and on the big table, would have played on the big table. Yes. Um, the main thing with this is, A, you'd have to like Risk and B, you'd have to be able to put up with the, the nuances of the way it plays out on a TV screen. Yeah. I played the disc version because that's what I probably would have played if I'd have had it back in the day. It was competent enough, I suppose, in terms of the, the mechanics of Risk. Um, you know, the way you could select types of play and all of that stuff. Graphics were okay for what they were, but like you said, it, it all starts to come undone because it's it feels very methodical and ploddy. Scrolling is jerky and slow. Selecting things is jerky and ploddy and slow. It slows the pace of the game down, and because you can't see the whole map, it's it disadvantages you in a very strategic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that then makes the game less exciting to play, and that's and that's the real problem of it. It's not very exciting, and risk isn't in of itself known for its great excitement but when you when you've got you know when you've got the cusp of winning the game where you've got lots of countries all of the different pieces on and things like that it, it, it does feel like you know you've got a good view of what's going on mm-hmm. and if you're into that kind of game you need that without that or with that silly loading version no it doesn't have that and even the rolling digital dice is not the same as it as rolling them physically that's just that's just the way it is yeah yeah so if, if you can accept all of those caveats then then you can play risk and you can and yeah, exactly for the same reason you said you know if you don't have enough friends to play it with, you know, you've got your Billy No Mates or a Billy Risky No Mates, then this is maybe an option for you that you have. But it does have all the pieces, like you say. Yes, it does have all the dice and yes, all of those things. They're all plus points, I suppose. It's just a matter of it is a bit slow. It is a bit eerily silent. And I think I think it does detract from the game itself because you can't get that worldview, the whole worldview properly. Other than those things, it's also a pretty heavy price tag at twelve ninety five. It wouldn't have been much less for the board mm, game. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think that's the tape version as well. I think it was fifteen for the disc version. So I think I think I would have I would have been happy with the board game. I would personally, but yeah. that said, maybe it's something that people who are new to risk might like. I don't know. Yeah, and also as well, I mean, you don't even roll dice, does it? The dice just appear. Yeah, it just appear on that thing, and it, it's it, you know what it's it is what it is. If you were new to Risk and this was your experience of it, you probably find this might be probably preferable to the board game. Um, might be, but but if you were played the board game, you wouldn't go for this. I don't think so. No, but it is it is underneath the engine a Risk game. It does play Risk, so yeah, yeah fair enough. I think sixty one percent it got. I think that's about fair. I think I'd say so. Yeah, there we go. That's Risk. We're we're sticking with strategy. God, it's got strategy heavy this half. As we move on to our next one. Graham, it's your turn to take us around Star Trek, the Rebel Universe. Okay, this is quite interesting, actually. Published by Firebird. Um, copyright, obviously, Paramount Pictures. 81% this got from the Zap team. Mm, um, produced by G.P. Everett, Stephen Kane, and one Mike Singleton. And don't you bloody know it. <laughs> and the conversion was Fawad Katan. And the musician was David Dunn. Music isn't bad. It starts the only year at the beginning. It's the Star Trek music, so it's not a bad version. It's okay, yeah. Yeah, quite an interesting Star Trek game. And the last one on the C64, this, the last licensed one. Um, In this game, we find ourselves in troubled times for the Federation, aren't they always? For some time, an area of space has been designated as a Federation quarantine zone due to a peculiar, unexplained phenomenon. A whole bunch of Starfleet ships and their crews, 20 in fact, 
have entered that system just off the shoulder of Sagittarius and gone renegade, taking up sides with the Klingons. WTF, Adrian. Good Lord. No one knows how or why this is happening, and worse still, the fear is that this infection may well spread. That's right. Although relatively localised to an area around the Decaic star, this mutiny sphere, quote-unquote, is expanding at an accelerated rate, and that means trouble. So, what to do? I know. Send in the Enterprise to investigate. That's the best plan. Yes. Send in your most powerful starship, where 20 previous starships have already lost the plot. Works. So, in classic (laughs) Federation style... They plan to send in the Enterprise and its crew to find out what the hell is going on around the Kike and put a stop to it. But after the Enterprise enters the quarantine zone, they also plan to encase the area of space and everyone in it within a Klein sphere, an interstellar barrier through which no material object can pass, just in case things go south, I guess. So nothing says, I think, that you've got faith in your mission, like putting them in an interstellar impossible barrier for the rest of time if they fail, just saying. No. So, your mission is to discover the cause of this mutiny, and suspicion inevitably falls on the Klingons. Then you've got to reverse its effects within a five-year time period if the Enterprise succeeds, Thousands of stars within the quarantine zone and planets will be saved. The Klein sphere will be dissolved and the quarantine lifted. Cube, Bill and Ted style air guitar. If it fails, the Enterprise and its crew are condemned to eternal imprisonment within the renegade zone and Starfleet Command will be forced to make the final adjustments to the Klein sphere and make it a permanent fixture in space. As Bill and Ted would say, bogus. Bogus. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, there are some neutral Romulans dotted around in there too, adding more complication and probably Romulan ale to proceedings, so it's best to avoid any entanglements with them because they are greatly feared, but they are always neutral, but also always pissed off. So just got to avoid them. They're just, they're, they're just there. <laughs> what turns a man neutral? <laughs> <laughs> Once inside the Klein sphere, it doesn't take Kirk and the gang long to figure out what's been going on. Of course, the Klingons have discovered that a peculiar isotope of dilithium known as Dilithium Delta-6, found only in the Declan-2 area of their space, acts as a telepathic amplifier. In particular, when linked to major power source, such as a Stagic's warp drive, Dilithium Delta-6 renders most sentient beings within range open to telepathic suggestion from a distance of light years. Therefore, the Klingons have developed a suggestion weapon, a Suggestatron, a Persuadatron, <laughs> a Convincematic. <laughs> You're making this up now, eh? <laughs> and those devious Cornish pasty forwarded assholes must not be allowed to get that kind of technology into the rest of Federation space, or it's Klingon blood burgers for everyone forever. Can't have that. Hack like hack Well said. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so this this game is a curious blend of an elite Captain Blood type notion fused with Star Trek. A few game ideas and game styles kind of all rolled into one. You control the functions of the Enterprise using the quote-unquote multivision game system or by vicariously selecting the crew members and operating the controls they are responsible for. You have all the regulars there, such as Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Uhura, Sulu, and Chekhov, and each one is linked to a series of screens through which you navigate, battle, investigate, transport, etc., etc., and otherwise figure out what is going on and sort out the Klingons within your five-year time period. Your initial view is of the familiar bridge of the Enterprise, and around this are scanned 8-bit images of the crew. They look okay. They do at least resemble who they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. Either clicking on them or on the image of the bridge or clicking on their likeness will reveal the controls at their disposal. So Kirk has the captain's log, the transporter controls. Spock will give you information about worlds. Is the science officer. Sulu will navigate. So you can navigate between systems and between planets. Uhura also comes, although she doesn't actually have any controls. Bit alarming, that really. Scotty is on engineering, McCoy on medical, Chekhov on weapons. That's the end. It's all aligned to how it works in the TV show. You control a selector pointer in the shape of the Federation shield. With your joystick, clicking one of the seven crew will bring up their screen. And then also around the edges, it will suggest probable next actions and others, which isn't a bad way to work all said and done. Quite a nice mm-hmm. way it does that. 
So yep. click on Sulu to navigate and you will see the main window change and then the items around that will change to suit maybe your next steps and what other things you can do. I like that. Um, so adding power to the engines or asking Spot to do some planetary scanning and things like that or sending out a message. It's actually a pretty nice way of working through some of the parts, some of the parts around, say, navigation and explosion, but then leaves other areas like combat transporting and fuel management weirdly more painful than it probably needed to be there's loads of systems to explore here and they will all have combinations of habitable and other types of world around them for you to explore or get equipment from or get information from warping between these systems and then navigating around planets uses your fuel your dilithium crystal should i say and that also means you'll get attacked more often than not by klingons that seem to be just dotted about combat is an odd vector style affair that sees a vector-based version of the enemy hoy into view and start kicking off. This is where some of the controls get a bit fiddly, as you need to arm your weapons first, then aim and lock on, and then fire, which can become painfully and needlessly procedural and costly when you have a Klingon cruiser hurling photon torpedoes at you. So there is a bit of screen hopping at these points, which is a little bit takes you out of the action a little bit. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, you'll encounter info beacons and planets, like I said, you can explore. And as in the show, you're able to beam down up to six crew members to the surface. Each of the crew members has a particular skill. And on the surface, you essentially get a series of obstacles to contend with, locked electro doors, odd weapons, particle things, mysterious boxes of stuff. You can choose, and sometimes these are locked, and sometimes they have you know weird things around them. And you can choose which member of your crew tackles them in a certain way. So Uhura will fire some kind of communication at them. And I think I think it's Sulu or one of them will fire the, the phaser at them and stuff like that. So you can choose which member tackles the object and the hazard. And the outcome ranges from, you know, everything's okay. The door opens or you get the thing to getting zapped. And all of you crew have to go to sick bay to recover. All of which, of course, takes time. Remember, you are on a timeline for this game. Mm-hmm. So you will, therefore, over a long period of time, though most likely never, Wander around the systems inside the quarantine, they're looking for clues, items, and answers to stop the Klingons escaping with their deadly Persuadertron. You'll need to replenish your dilithium crystals or you'll run out of fuel. And these are road as you travel around the system and there's places you can get those. Also, traveling takes time, even at warp speed. Remember, time is relative. So you need to factor that into your travels as well. According to the review on Lemon, there are also something called catastrophe pods in here that are a bit of a weird game breaker. Now, I didn't encounter any of these, at least as far as I know. And when I played it and, and read the instructions, I found no mention of them in the instructions that I had at all. But apparently these alien pods can, unbeknown to you, attach themselves to your ship when you enter a system and gradually over a five-week period in terms of the game, eat the ship and destroy you, ending your game. According to the Lemon reviewer Jason Compton, and you can say you can, we'll put the link in the show notes, the only way to get rid of them is to find an orbital discontinuum, a planet whose feature is a wormhole which sends the Enterprise to a new system and has the convenient side effect of removing these pods. There is no way to know if a system has pods when you visit it, which means that it's quite possible that the very first planet you visit will hit with pods, leaving you scrambling to find another nearby system with a discontinuum or it's game over, which is a bit Mm. lame. Yeah, That's a pretty naff thing to do all said and done. And if that is the case, and I've no reason to doubt the reviewer, that leaves an entire element of the game with a random chance of death that you can do very little about, which is a great shame. You need to check on the status of the Enterprise pretty regularly throughout the game anyway, as all combat and travel takes its toll. But this notion of an invisible and overtime deadly enemy that you may not even know about, and that sounds difficult to remove, that just sounds like a massive pain in the game. Apparently this, and the general scope of thousands of stars and planets inside a tiny C64 game, has the hand of Mike Singleton on it. And he's no stranger to this kind of notion, as we've seen in games like Lords of Midnight. You can save or load your game here, of course, so you don't actually have to spend five years sat at C64, but the first or eighth time you die, either through flapping about the selection screen during combat, or via a catastrophe pod will leave a bad taste in your mouth, like gone off Tranya, that'd be. Anyway, that's a real, that's a rap, proper Star Trek joke, that is. That joke just whizzed past me like the Enterprise past the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Some people would know what this is. The Corbinite Maneuver, I think that episode's called. Anyway, 
Um, so that's that's the Star Trek, though, isn't it? The graph that's that how it kind of plays out. The graphic combos work better in some places than others. The bridge and the crew graphics are okay. Some of the familiar images of Enterprise and orbit around the planet will satisfy. And I thought they looked pretty cool. Yeah, I did. Yeah, the vectors are less successful. Not sure where they went down that road. And the exploration of the planets is somewhat victory as well. Where it succeeds is that you do feel like you have control of the crew and you navigate around pretty successfully with the oral and visual Star Trek tropes that are all there. But the game is daunting, somewhat underplayed and possibly a little even boring over time, just going, you know, hopping on. Same reason we didn't like Captain Blood, maybe. The only version of the Star Trek music is okay. The in-game sounds suitably familiar, you know, the ooh and all that kind of thing that, you, you know, you'd be familiar to Star Trek. For me, I needed more, I don't know, a little bit more Star Trek-y stuff, a little bit more musical interlude, maybe, just a little bit more more show. Some of the imagery of the enemies and planets just needed to be a little bit up to, you know, it would have been good to see some of, you know, the, the famous screen with the Klingon warriors' heads on it, you know, and even if it was just a still. Just some mm. of that, some of those little things like that would have added a little bit of, a little bit more to it. I think more pixel art, less vectors for me. The Klingon spaceships looked a bit like a broken toilet brush in vectors. That kind of thing doesn't suit me when I'm playing these games. But there is yeah. a Star Trek game in here, Jim, just maybe not as we know it. And I thought it was all right. I thought it yeah. was okay. Apart from that stupid bug. I didn't counter it, but if it's there, silly. Yeah. So what did you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can you can certainly see the influence of uh, Mike, you know, Lords of Midnight, Doom Dax, Revenge, Singleton on this. And obviously just as Tad. well... Yeah, this was a it was a deport, wasn't it? Because it was originally on the uh, ST, so it came from the yeah. ST, yeah, so it came from the ST first of all. No Amiga version that I could see. Weird, maybe there was. I don't know. But yeah, so you, you know, you trek around the universe with the crew of the Enterprise. I I, I thought there was a pretty solid game here for people into Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like the way that each part of the ship is controlled by the various members of the crew, and they've all you know it's kind of divided in that way. So weapons is navigation and analysis and everything like that and a bit of tinkering on each screen you know with a bit of tinkering i got i got moving i shot some klingons i just had a I just had, thing is what i did is i approached it without looking at the instructions first of all and i actually managed to work my way through it, it yeah it's not it's not it's not it's difficult to figure out is it no it's not not terribly unintuitive there's some bits where no. i was a bit like okay well, you go because i kept getting that shot of the enterprise in front of a planet i was like okay what can i do with this <laughs> and there's some bits and bobs like that so I mean, I went to the instructions and read a bit more. So I had, a, I had a move around and stuff. I shot some Klingons. I worked out how to put my phasers up and get to warp speed and all those kind of things. So as far as these kind of more cerebral games go, I thought this was fairly enjoyable. Uh, there's some nice visuals. I thought the actual digitizations, digital sort of representations of the crew were pretty good. They're recognizable. They're certainly better than some horrors we've seen. So yeah, I didn't get very far into it, I have to say. Whether I'll go back to it, probably not. I would say that this actually reminded me, if you, if you, you know, squint a bit and think about what it is sort of thing, was that there's early sort of echoes of something like Mass Effect in this. Yeah, I'd see that. I can see that. Because, you know, you're traveling around a space with a crew on a bridge going from planet to planet trying to work something out and stop something happening. I mean, that's that's Mass Effect, especially Mass Effect 2. Yeah. When Mass Effect 2 has its sort of scanning of planets to find stuff and locate things and going away on missions and, you know, you've got your galactic map and you're flying about and you're flitting about. There's, there's elements of, you know, and obviously Mass Effect takes a lot from Star Trek. So we can see that. But I think within the structure of this game and the way this game handles stuff and so traveling from planet to planet, I like the way that on the um, when you were in a system and you were on impulse and you were going around it, it sort of didn't just transport you there, but you could watch the map and see how fast you were getting towards a planet and things like that. There's some nice little graphic bits in this. So there's some things in this that there I did, actually, that did, did really like. So it's got 81%. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think this was uh, an interesting, an interesting game. We don't normally say that about these kind of yeah. things, but I thought this one was, of the best Star right. Trek games, actually. Yeah, 
Certainly was for the, for the time and for it felt it felt like Star Trek. Uh, no, yeah. I think some some of the things you said it could have the, ve- the vector graphics were a bit of a misstep. I think they could have been yeah. done a bit differently. I'm not, not quite sure what. I mean, I don't know if you needed needed it. There's elements of um, PSI five. I thought as well. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was just trying to think of the name of it. I think if it had a bit more accolade and less elite. Yeah. I think it might have yeah. worked a bit better with graphically, but it still yeah. works pretty good. But I think it would have just would have just finished those battle sequences off to be a bit more like that. I think so, yeah. But yeah, it was all right. Star Trek. Wasn't sure what to expect, but decent enough. Quite enjoyed it. There we go. Star Trek: The Rebel Universe. Surprisingly okay. Let's move on. We've got still got two left. Next up, fast break. This is fast break. Fast break. Fast break. It's time to get back on the court with Accolade again. But unlike the ultra slow sim version of tennis we had last week in Servant Volley, this time it's fast break, a more arcadey version of the sport it is based on. And that is basketball. Uh, this was designed by Steve Cartwright. He's the man behind Hacker, Hacker 2, things like that. It's got graphics by Roseanne Mitchell. Um, and she would go on to work on loads of, uh, sort of PGA games in the 90s, golf games and other sports games and stuff, and uh, various roles. And it was produced by Sam mm. Nelson. Once the game led, you've waited through a couple of w- well-drawn, but can't, I, didn't know if, I, I couldn't manage to skip them, title screens. Clearly brought to you by Nike. Um, yeah, just a bit. <laughs> Nike, Nike. You get to see the court you're about to play on and some options allowing you to pick the time of play. It's quite simple. So you've got the, the courts at the top and your options are at the bottom. You've got, you've got a time of play. You can play three, six, nine, or 12-minute quarters. You can choose whether it's a one- or two-player game two players game you can there are two teams like most of these accolade games you know they're, they're just they don't give you believe like it's just two two teams and in this you got the jammers or the slammers <laughs> so you can play as either the Fair jammers enough. you can play as either the slammers or you can play a two-player game against one of you is the jammers and one of you is the slammers That's up to you i guess and then you can either move on to choose your team and the set plays you can have or you can choose to create your own plays if you want to and you do this by positioning your team around the court at four different stages couldn't really get my head around that I just, I think I just made a confusing mess. My plays would never have worked. Everyone would just just ran into each other in the centre of the court at some point and all fallen over. It would have been, it wouldn't have been very good. Anyway, moving on, you can choose from when if you you carry on, you can choose from two different sets of players for each position. You've got the centre, the guard, and the forward. And it was nice to see some decent representation here with a good mix of ethnicity in the options. You've got a good split of different ethnic backgrounds in there, so that was quite good. Once you're happy with who you picked, you can then get to choose four players from the 15 available in the playbook so these are plays that sort of set plays that you can sort of trigger off during the game and will sort of play out or try to anyway um but it's up to you you don't have to do any of them you can just play a game by basketball and you're into the game off off you go you start the game the game is played out now i found the way that this was sort of presented a bit weird It's it's a it's a weird slightly scrolling split screen and seen from a sort of slightly isometric way, depending on which angle, which direction you're looking at. What this means is that your viewpoint, you kind of, it's if you imagine you're slightly raised up in the center of the court. And so, so then the court is drawn either going up, you know, up to the right or up to the left, depending on whether you're looking to the right or left. So if you're, so imagine you're set in the sort of bleachers and you're sat looking down. And so you'd be looking to the right, but it's kind of a bit of a forced angle. So it's it's weird. It's almost like the court. Perspective angle, is, isn't it? It is a perspective angle, but it doesn't quite work because you, 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 nobody's that perspectivized. I don't know what the Right where it is, but it seems too much from the from the perspective. Right, it seems too forced. The perspective is a bit too forced. I'd have just preferred this to be flat on, I think. But it is what it is. It's slightly, you know, it's angled, sort of isometric, and going up to the right or to the left, depending on which way. As the player with the so, but 
as the player with the ball, so whoever's controlling it, gets close to the center um, center line, the screen scrolls just ever so slightly before flicking to the opposite view, which is kind of a it's weird. So it, you think it's going to scroll, but then it just flicks, and then you move in. If I was going from, from bottom right, you're going suddenly up to the top right, so it's a different way. It's an odd choice. I find it slightly disorienting. I didn't quite like it. You know, you, can, you can't really see where your players are in front of you. Because it, you're not central to the screen when you get into the edge. If you, do you know what I mean? I, d- I don't know. If it, it, I just didn't feel like I had a full sort of view of the court all the time. And I didn't like it very much. But maybe just me. Anyway, the controls are fairly simple for the most part. We're actually well playing. Tapping the fire button passes the ball. And holding the fire button, um, that does your shooting when you're aiming for the basket. Supposedly letting go whilst at the top of your right because you'll jump up. It's how you're supposed to score a basket. You can do all twirls and all kinds of stuff, but I, I did them. I don't know how I did them, but I did them. The UI at the bottom has some information regarding your team, what they're up to in its own little box. So it's basketball terminology, which I didn't fully understand. Uh, and there's a third box in the bottom right with all the info from, it's got the quarter you're in, so it will quarter one, two, three, four, the time left in it, the time left before there's a turnover, because I think in basketball, you only get 30 seconds with the ball, don't you, before it swaps to the other side. I think that's actually how it works clue. in basketball. So you've got 30 seconds and so to, to run up the other end and score, and if you don't, it turns over the other side, get control of the ball. I think that's actually how basketball works. I seem to, I seem to remember it. but Maybe. I could be wrong. I could be right. I don't know. But there's another countdown going down. And I think that's what it is. And yeah, and, and then you got the score as well. So, you know, the, the score's in there as well. I thought the visuals were pretty good in this for the players. They're pretty well animated figures running about. And it all moves at a good speed too. There's You can have all six sort of players on screen at once and they move around quite quickly. There's no slowdown. I didn't really see any glitching or anything. So it's all quite good. The controls, I thought, were fairly snappy. They responded quickly when I was pressing the fire button, passing it right. So and despite the weird flick screen, the game's okay to play. Once you get kind of used to that weirdness, the only problem is the computer is infallible and will quite often just steal the ball and go and score without fail just every time. I just found they were just perfect. I was never sure how I was supposed to steal the ball off them. They did it routinely to me. They just ran up to me and took the ball off me. Because if you press the fire button, it swaps the player you control. So I was I was jabbing away at the fire button and just that just was changing control rather than trying to steal it, which I thought would have been the more optional way. I don't know. So it, it, it felt a bit confusing in that one i didn't really feel like i was didn't really know what to do and i read the instructions and i couldn't find anything in the instructions that said this is how you steal the ball back but they were doing it routinely to me so it was a bit annoying there are fouls and violations but i never saw them so i never quite i don't know what you're supposed to do with that there's no free throws that says there's something in the instructions about that and there's also a way to switch the plays that never seemed to work for me it said stand still near the center line and then hold the fire button and you'll go into a thing to, to select the plays. And whenever I tried that, they just stole the ball off me, went and scored. So um, Not optimum. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, that, that does not work. The background graphics crowd, it's expressionistic, I think is the word I'd use. Yeah. It's a weird yeah, mix yeah. of red and blue marks, isn't it, against a black background, like yeah. an expressionist painting. It's like someone called in an expressionist painter and said, can you do as a background? He said, I've done you a background. There are your crowd. Ah. They all speak like that as well. They all do, all in my uh, experience. The sound is pretty perfunctory. There's a weird beat at the beginning. It sounds like the, just the drum beat from Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. Um, and there's a you know bouncing ball and, and static-like roars of the crowd when you score and that sort of thing. There's nothing particularly great. It's just noise. There's not a lot else to say about this one. It, it feels like a decent basketball game, I guess, but I just wanted it to scroll instead of flicking the screen as an in international basketball, which I think I preferred. I didn't mind it. I reckon in two players, you get some good enjoyment from this if you're both into basketball, but I'm not sure there's much in this for the single player because there's no leagues or tournaments on offer. Um, it's just a single game of basketball. It feels very much like accolades other sports games in that regard. Hardball, fourth and inches, where it's just two teams play 
There you go. But they felt a bit more in those and they felt a bit more accessible and a bit more to them. I don't know. I just think it just wants to represent, it just wants to present with a good simulacrum of the game itself. And that's it. I think that's all it wants to do. It's just, here's a game of basketball, play it. There's some different players and some plays you can do and stuff like that, but we're not going to go too deep into it. I guess in that respect, it works. But I think without the sort of extra trappings and the sort of things to sort of really draw you back, you'd really need to like basketball to get much out of this one, I think. It's it's one for the basketball aficionados and, and maybe a bit of fun in two-player, but I think you'd soon tire of it because it, it just feels a bit... I don't know. It's okay, but I'm not a basketball fan, so it is what it is. I think I preferred international basketball, all told. What about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know about accolade sports games, these re- most recent ones. I don't know if they're just kind of getting a bit, they're removing some of the fun out of the game. But at least this time, instead of a treacle speed strategy tennis thing, yeah. you've got, uh, you know, we have an option heavy, but perhaps a little bit funless basketball game. Now, I don't generally like basketball, okay? I'm short and stocky, and the exact opposite in fact, of what is required for basketball. <laughs> and so I've never really engaged with the sport nor found any fun with it. I can also not jump very high and my aim with a ball at a hoop is crap. So none of those things are going to get me selected for any team anytime soon, which has never really given me an affinity with, with basketball. Whereas I can jump as high as a traffic light. So you know. Exactly. It's exactly. So, you know, it's more, more, maybe more your thing than mine. And, and and for that reason, I've never really got into the game, obviously. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm bounced and literally, you know, humorous, ironic way bouncing off it. But there is at this game at its heart a very clever thing. The graphics are good, I thought. Reasonably isometric angle, I think, <laughs> view of the court weird players that move around pretty quickly quite good animation all said and done there's also a lot of options and playbooks and stuff i don't know what any of that means but if you bought into this and bought this game you probably do yeah and i imagine all of those things are pretty good Mm -hmm. i found they all got in the way for me of the game but i think that's because i wanted to just get into the game and get on with it and that's this isn't that kind of game although a fast break is a particular type of basketball play isn't it where they just rush rush try and get you know straight to the score as quick as possible but and so i you know i wanted to rush and get into the game but this isn't that kind of set up so and that's that's so that's on me that's not on the game that's just on me and uh, that's my expectations of this being different to what it actually is going to present you with so that's not on the game i found that the graphics all work really well there's a game of basketball to be played in here isn't there in whatever version that it's playing i didn't want to do that strategy stuff i just wanted to play a bit of you know basketball but that's just me what there is here for a fan of the game i imagine is really good there's a lot of little nuances and things to go at might be a bit text heavy maybe a bit visually complex in places but at the end of the day there's a little fast moving nice little basketball game to be had i think 68 percent probably a little bit harsh maybe they're scoring it for because it's a bit fans only i don't know but mm. you know and is it as good as other basketball games around at the time it's it's equal it's as as good as some of the others maybe not as intense maybe but it's it's okay but I think it's perhaps, I don't know, maybe there's just the playoff that they've tried doesn't quite work for those people that aren't into their basketball. If you just want to go and have a you know a game of basketball for fun, I don't know if this is the right game for that. But it all looks the part and it's another good, decent accolade release. It's just a bit funless, I think. It's yeah. a habit they've got into. The tennis game was a bit funless. This one's a bit funless. So other than that, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not terrible. There we go. That's fast break. So, okay, let's move along. We've got still got one more game left to round out January, so let's get along to that. And Graham, it's time for us to enter the Caveman Olympics. That's it, yes, the Caveman Olympics. Um, 995, 80% this, uh, published from Electronic Arts. Mm. Um, Dynamics are behind it as well. Design is Greg Johnson, producer Don Traeger, coded by Richard Real Jr., Derek Lukasuk, and John Leup, who's responsible in code terms for 
California Games and Summer Games 1 and 2. Interesting pedigree, that. Mm. Graphics, Brian Mann, Derek Lakuzuk and Greg Johnson, and the musicians are here, Alan McKean and Bryce Morsello. <laughs> and another good name. Um, so a new multi-themed multi-event game. Okay, these you know, these have always worked out really well, haven't they, on the Commodore 64, you know, he said. Mm-hmm. Um, this one does have some interesting things to note, and I think the presence of John uh, California Games Loop on code has lent this some epicness um, or epicsness. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe, and the humor, well, I think it might have appeal here. It's less inspired by the glam metal of that silly other game that we played, the Blood and Guts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is more about a band of cave people, cave folk, troglodytes. So more about the old cave, cavemen type idea. And what do we call them nowadays? I don't know, cavemen. And it all seems a bit, you know, in these these times, maybe we avoid that. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'll go f- sort of through my sort of impressions of the, the game as well as, and I'll sort of tackle this in a slightly different way that we normally do. But because it's not like there's a story to follow of this or anything like that. So it's not like a game where, you know, there's a, it's in a multi-event game where, you know, you, the idea is you participate. Summer, it's a summer games parody or a games parody. Very much so, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it does all of those things. And I'll sort of go through the sort of st- the process of that. But my, my initial impression straight off the bat was that the art style here is very good. And I quite liked the humor. It's all tongue in cheek, taking fun swipes at summer games and all the epic stylings. Yeah. That sort of little opening title bit, for example, where the logo comes down and, you know, it's got the famous and the guy runs on and the sign drops down and all that sort of stuff. It's got it's got a nice tongue in cheekness about it. Um and then I think sometimes the, the audio is perhaps gets a little bit disjointed and jolty at certain times. But other than those things, that particular sequence is quite good. And it sets the tone for the graphics. This is obviously a multiplayer or single player type game. But you get to choose from such game character luminaries as Vincent, Kronk, Crudler, Glunk, Fag and Ukar. <laughs> yep. Um, though you can practice and participate in any and all of the events, all but Vincent, who has no extra skills, and Gronk, who is good at everything, have particular events they are better at. So in actuality, that's quite a nice way of adding some balance or levels of difficulty to things. Mm-hmm. The events then, um, we've got Mate Toss, Clubbing, Dino Vault, Dinosaur Race, Fire Making, and Sabertooth Tiger Race. They're all pretty interesting sounding. All very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the sort of setting for this, it says in the blurb, before corporate sponsors and fashion gear, there were cavemen. Competition was ugly. Athletes won by bashing the other guy first. Pick your favorite Olympian. Club your way through six prehysterical events. I like the way they did that. Beat your friends to the caves of fame. The greatest Neanderthal athletes of all time share their secrets. And then you've got the various different um, elements of the game type. So in the mate toss, you've got to swing your partner around in circles. And I'll sort of discuss the events as we go through them and do things like that. So the game starts officially with the opening ceremony. So you'll go through the options and the game starts with the opening ceremony a la summer games. And then obviously the caveman style items drop in and it sets the tone. So grunting, club wielding, cartoon style Neanderthals in the classic Captain Caveman inspired tradition. So that's kind of what they look like here. Mm-hmm. That kind of look. Then everything sort of appears on, on everything is themed in this game like this. And that's what I, one of the things I really like about it. So then on a rock slate, you get to choose things like the number of players. It's sort of written on chicad into a rock slate, which I quite like. I like, I do like that kind of a de- you know, that's attention to detail. And then you get a really funny cartoon display. And, the, and I think the graphics on that screen particularly are really, really good. Really cartoon looking, really funny when you can choose the characters. And they're really funny looking. And I thought that was really cool. Really good profile screen, again, in that theme. And and, and ties into the thing. Everything about this game shouts caveman, Olympics. It's all very tonally correct in that sense. So it sticks to its guns. Um, and you can choose the full Olympics. You can practice events. You can restart the selection. Or you can check out the Caves of Fame. 
And then the India actually, once you start the sort of full Olympics, you get the official game opening sequence, which did make me laugh, actually, and um, where the caveman sort of runs on, sort of humps and sort of runs really badly on. And it's just, it made me laugh loads because the caveman in it are quite big in comparison to the other sort yeah, of characters yeah. you've used to seeing. And when he runs on and the flame goes out and then he just smashes the Olympic flame thing, just stuff like that. It's just, it, it, it's all in keeping with it. It's quite funny. Um, and then, of course, after that, once that's played out, well, assuming that you've chosen however many players you want to play it and assuming that um, you know, you've got your joystick armed and ready, um, you can begin to go through the events um, and you'll play through them turn by turn, one at a time, taking your turns to go through them. Um, the first one you'll encounter or the first the route the way i went through them i got mate toss which mm. is where you it's a bit i imagine this is a bit like a hammer throw to in the hammer throw tradition it's at this Very time much so, your, yeah you've got your partner um and you you grab her by the <laughs> the ankles and then spin around and around and, around and let her go throw through the air yeah to try and get to go and get distance interestingly if you play crudella you throw a man you throw the blank. yeah i was gonna say say so because if you read the i mean i i won't go into reading because there's loads of cave man inspired blurb even the credits and the actual instructions for this are written in caveman language yeah um, and I'll, yeah. I'll talk about that in, in, in a while but yeah you can you can choose different characters and so you throw in a different it's, it's there is balance there and the graphics at this point um background graphics look really good sprites are quite big and bold it sets the tone for pretty much the whole game actually that things move around pretty well and it's quite funny funny to do that and it's you know it is funny after that i a dino race where you hop on the back of a dinosaur and peg it left to right jumping over rocks as they appear the screen split horizontally in that classic way that these kind of games, these kind of races are. And I thought, again, nice graphics, nice graphics. And the control about these is they've kept, they've kind of kept the controls to the way you control them in the Summer Games games. So gone are the Games Summer Edition crazy controls. Yeah. You know, up, down, <laughs> left, right, turn around, go wink three times, you know, clap your hands together and then sort of say hello to a passing elk. You know, that kind of level of control. No, it's just mainly waggling, going around in circles with the stick, fire button, you know, combinations of those things. Mm-hmm. So again, again, so when you're racing on the back of the dino race in the mate toss, you've got to spin the spin it round and then press the fire button at the right time. Similar to the way that the traditional events work and then has that accessibility factor to them because of that. After the dino race is the fire making, which made me laugh for ages playing that. Um, you've got a cave yeah. in the background, which is where I realized two large graphic characters and you've got to waggle your button, press your button to sort of rub the sticks together to try and make fire. But at the same time, you can also smack your opponent across the head. Yeah. And blow on the you have to blow so blow on the fire to try and get the tinder to sort of ignite. It's it's genuinely quite a funny level that um, I couldn't, I couldn't I do it. <laughs> no, no, it's rock hard. Don't get me wrong. And I, like I say some of these are quite difficult to even get to get to through or anything. But it did make me laugh. Um, and that, and that, again, unusually because we we had games that have tried to be funny and they aren't. This one actually does have real chuckle moments. And um, the clubbing made me laugh loads. The, the event clubbing. It's just because the because it's split into two parts. The first phase you have to try and frighten your opponent to get the first crack by. You just have to move the joystick around in random directions to do some kind of erratic war dance. Yeah. And then he sort of, because he does that, then you get the drop on your opponent and then you get to club them, <laughs> club them over the head. Yeah. <laughs> the second phase, in the clubbing phase. The graphics on the cliff top and the way it's done and the big sprites, it's just, it's funny. It's a funny thing to play. And it's, I imagine, I mean, I was playing this single player, so it's a bit unforgiving as well. But two player or multiplayer, this would be hilarious to play with, with a good set of mates. You'd have a right laugh for that. The saber tooth tiger race is actually quite clever because you're basically running away from a saber tooth tiger. So it's split again horizontally. Um, and you both the runners are at the top and the saber tooth is at the bottom and you're pegging it. But if you start to fall behind, you start to appear in the saber tooth's screen yes. at the bottom or he'll so it's, so it's quite clever the way it works that I and mean, you've got to basically run away and there's obviously it's a bit imagine a moon uh what's it called um you, you're running along and you've got to jump over obstacles it's hurdles it's like a hurdle it's hurdles yeah yeah so i'm trying to think it was it is hurdles and if you then if you hit them obviously slow down and then you know you're going to get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger yeah <laughs> which is quite funny when it gets all of you as well 
And then by far, my favorite event out of all of them was the Dino Vault, because I thought it was hilarious. So you've <laughs> essentially got to run from left to right and attempt to jump over a, <laughs> jump over a dinosaur. Yeah, it's pole vault, like a it? pole vault. Yeah. yeah, it's pole vault, but it's really good animation on this. It's a, it's the best animation in the whole, all of them. It's the, it's the best looking of all the levels, I think, as well. In terms of, it's a smaller sprite, but it's really well animated. The really funny waggle to the end of the stick when you run with it, which made me laugh loads. And then when you try and jump, s- several different things can happen. It can go wrong, <laughs> and you can just ping, ping backwards, which I did loads, which made me laugh yeah. for ages. Or you can try and jump over, and you'll get eaten by the dinosaur. Or you'll, I just did one where you just fell straight down the crevice in the middle. It's, yep. it's, the sound effects are really funny on that as well. So, and Ori grabbed hold of me at one point, just he shook me about in his mouth, and then I slipped out my caveman uniform, just flew off naked into the distance. It's, <laughs> it's genuinely a funny, funny level that is, um, and it's quite a lot of fun to do. Um, and again, none of these controls for these things are hard to figure out. They're basically waggle. I mean, most of them are waggle left and right, or, or paste waggle, or yeah. fire button, or variations. There's nothing over complex at all. And that works massively to its benefit. And after that, once you've gone through that, you know, assuming that you've got winners and losers, they all stand on the rocks. Again, it's a scene that made me laugh where you've got the cavemen who win, stood on the rocks, getting their, you know, rewards, the ceremony. It's, it's quite funny. And the game plays out. That's, that's the game in a nutshell. That's how it plays out. It's a multi-event game in the caveman theme. And you play through those events in that, in, you know, and you can practice or you can play them. And they are fun events. They're not serious at all. But the implementation is actually very nice and slick and easy to do and easy to play. And you can just get out of a laugh with them. There's mm-hmm. no seriousness. There's no, and then there's not, I don't know what, what it was about. I think we, there was just lots of head injury in um, in some of the others. Whereas this one, there isn't any of that. It's just funny. So the characters and the graphics in the game, I thought were all actually pretty good. I mean, you can't, you know, I say you can't fault them. The graphics are, are what they are, but they've, the characterization and the cartooniness of them does really work for this. Mm. Um, and I think that they sort of get away with it. And it's not amazing. And there is, you know, some of the animation is a little bit stilted maybe, but it, where it works, it works. But the, what it is, is consistent with all the characters and the approach and the animation style. So it doesn't change from event, event to event to event. It does get slightly better with the Dino Vault, but the, the main look and feel and everything around it all looks the part and plays in the kind of context. Some of the, ma- the items like um, the Mate Toss and, the, and some of the others, and some of the events are a little bit harder than the others, but that's just the nature of these kind of games, I guess. Um, and there's, But in thinking about how much Commodore Brown there is in that game, it's actually not, because there's a lot, it's not actually that bad. It's, it's not very, really. The game is like large, bold. I think it plays out pretty well. All of these, you know, with all of these, as with all of these kind of things, does the humor outstay its welcome? I don't know. I don't think it did. It, you know, I don't think it's a game you could play loads and loads and loads and just side split at, but it does have enough funny bones and funny little elements in it to just, you know, you'd go at it and you'd probably find, you know, a few things funny about it. Um, and with everything keeping in the main theme, everything, you know, the way it's written, the words on the screen, the way that they, you know, they everything's ug this and ug that, and the, the descriptions of the characters are genuinely funny. Um, mm. I thought there's a really nice the game in here, a really good game. I'd never played it before, um, so I thought it was really good. The sounds are good in it as well. Nothing mind blowing necessarily, but where they need to be, they're good. And the loading times from the disc I thought were pretty accessible. I'm on an emulator, so I can't speak for what it was like in reality. But there's a lot of things to like here. I think key to this is the sense of style and thematic consistency that keeps you in the game space. And enough events have enough daftness and enough easiness that it just pull, it pulls off what I didn't think was actually going to be possible. A fun multi-event game based on something else other than, you know, Olympics, you know, and a caveman version. Um, I think it would stand up to some repeated plays, but maybe not crammed into two in a big space. With a few mates, though, 
I think you'd have a really good laugh with this. And in a space of lots of, you know, silly thematic multi-event games, I think this is probably the best one that I've played in terms of, you know, not saying it's the best multi-event game, but it's the best themed multi-event game I think we've played. There's certainly one I've played. Because I thought the cartoons and the style and the ambience were really good. And just to touch back on that, to sort of go back onto that. If you go on to look at all of the blurb and the instructions, of which there's, you know, there's a great deal. There's actually an entire newsletter that comes with um, comes with the volume one issue, one of the examiner comes with this. Um, and there's a whole series of articles, news articles and funny items about yeah. all the cave people and all the various things in there. And it's really funny. And then right down to the end credits, it says at the bottom of this, um, in the obituaries, you've got Blurg, Donk, Gunk, Feck, Burnk and, fo- and 1,400 others died last Wednesday in the approaching Ice Age due to a lack of language. Family members had little to say. <laughs> blog, blog, the oldest known caveman died yesterday, the incredible age of 38. In an interview just before his death, when asked how he managed to live so long, Blog replied, "Not die." <laughs> and then uh, the, the only final thing I'll say is that it's um, there's a little blurb about Electronic Arts where it says, "One day Gerg think do caveman game do caveman game funny funny Gerg lumber over to Ugtronic Arts to tell Don Arg Don scream." And there's a little story there, but it reminded me of when we were talking about Gary Lou's brain. Um, <laughs> it just reminded me of you know, Gary Lanaker's little story and it just it made me laugh because it's written in that kind of style I thought this was pretty good um, and I quite enjoyed it and I thought it was a bit of light relief and quite funny what did you think? Uh, yeah I quite enjoyed this it's, uh, that intro made me laugh because it's like it's a bit of a t- two fingers up to epics I thought it's just quite funny yeah. it's like I think it's interesting I mean what's his face name John Leop I mean, yeah, he went to, I mean, I know you mentioned California Games. I don't know if you mentioned it. He was also Summer Games and Summer Games 2. And I think yeah, yeah, I said, that... I said he was Summer yeah, Games 1 and 2, yeah. That is where this draws its inspiration from, yes. those two games. And I think you can, whether that's him, whether that's the whole team have looked back and gone, we're going to make this funny, but we're going to look at what made those two games. And in my argue, you know, my opinion, Summer Games 2 is still the pinnacle. We're mm. going to look at what made those good, and we're going to try and aim for that. And as you rightly said... Where so many other ones like Game Summer Edition, Winter Edition, they've lost their way in this plethora of nightmare things and the stupid multi stuff we've seen, like mm. alternative world games and you know, you know, wall jumping or whatever that stupid thing was, or blood and guts. Yeah. And these have just gone. Well, it's it's in the controls. It's not about and and it's about having a bit of fun and cons- thematic consistency. And I think they've done that pretty well. Yeah. Um. You're right. Some of the I think some of the presentation, it lacks the smoothness of, of the Epic's greats. But I think in the way that, they, because I think, the, the you know, I, I imagine that the, the sprites are quite a bit more detailed in this because mm. there's a lot of cartoon sort of style animation to them. And I think what they've done is pretty well. I thought the, um, the what's it called? The, uh, where you're riding the dinosaur, that, that screen looked great. I mean, it's really yeah, colorful. Yeah. It looks really smooth. It scrolls smoothly. The animation of the dinosaur is really good. It's like Rim Runner, but two of them. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought it looked really cool. But again, the background on the um, uh, the cave, you know, the fire fire making. Yeah. And I like the idea of these stupid events, fire making. Yeah. You know, they kind of they, they kind of work. Although my, my, I think my favorite was the saber run. Um, that was funny. Because you just legged it away. And that was one I could do quite well as well. So it was all right. Yeah, I thought this was pretty good. Some of the controls are li- chugged a bit. I don't know, maybe in, in, in amongst times and yeah the the, the uh, dino jump one um i never managed to get anywhere i clear it no, I, i'm probably, not sure you meant to <laughs> i don't know if you can or not one like, i think one i went yeah like you i went flying backwards then i just <laughs> yeah. then i just went nowhere and then i went into the crevasse yeah um, made me laugh later i was that. like uh okay um but i like the way you pick the height where the dinosaur's neck getting stretched upwards <laughs> yeah. so yeah. there's there's some good humor in this and some some nice 
thematics and i think the way they've kept to the whole thing works quite well and the graphics are you know the background graphics and stuff there's some really nice stuff in this um and, it, and it's it's good I, yeah and as you rightly say i think i think if we'd have played this at the time i think we'd have had a good laugh because i think yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's you know there's a, there's a good multiplayer game you know a few of you sat around just the clubbing one would have been i think would have been stupidly would have found that hilarious yeah back it, was, then. it was funny that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dancing, like, the, the sort of war thing you have to <laughs> yeah. do made me laugh loads. It's really just like, funny. what is going on here? But I, I, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. 80%, maybe a bit too harsh. I think yeah, maybe maybe. M- maybe close to a sizzler, really, perhaps. Mm. You know, I think there's enough here, six events. Yeah. You know, I think it, I think they what they gave, I think it's better than that Summer Olympiad. Yes. Um, and that got close to a sizzler. I think it's better yeah. than that. But yeah, quite like this. Nice one to end on. Good mm. stuff. There you go. Who knew we were going to like some kind of weird alternative Not games me. thing? No, I think. Uh, well, I think this week's been better than last week. <laughs> yes, I think that's uh, goes without saying. There's been at least where the trajectory of things has been better overall. Yeah, I think mostly as well. Apart from apart from Roy the Rovers, everything's been. I mean, even Game Over Two was averagely okay. Yeah. Re- I mean, it was averagely okay. It was, I yeah. think it wasn't terrible, but it was just average. It wasn't. Know, but... It wasn't um, Artura. No, exactly. Um, there was a lot last week that was bad. Risk was pretty good for what it was. Star Trek was decent enough. Fast break, good yeah. basketball, decent basketball. Yeah, came out Olympics, true. fun and Pac Mania, bit dull, but a good conversion yeah. of a a conversion. Yeah, a conversion. <laughs> it didn't convert me, but it was a it was a conversion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There we go. That's what we've looked at. So, but before we go, it's the end of the month. It's just a two-month one. We've got some uh, crap verts. We do. The first one is for a classic. You know, so this is yeah. Speedball. So everyone knows the game. Well, everyone knows Speedball 2. I think Speedball's maybe like Street Fighter to Street Fighter 2, I always think. Yeah. But this advert, what's he wearing? <laughs> <laughs> well, they've obviously watched the Bond movie, haven't they, a little bit? <laughs> Which one? Mixed, um, rock, is it Thunderball? But I don't know. Oh, I think maybe there's a bit of that, and there's a bit of um, there's a bit of new barbarians in that. He's got a colander on his head with spikes on. He has got a spike colander on his head, yeah, and he's also wearing war pants, war underpants, <laughs> very shiny war pants. They've been shiny. buffed. <laughs> yes, he's got buff war war pants. I want to know. On. I want to know who the person is who's, who's uh, you know who's shined them. And I'm just going to say this, you know, what's the point in wearing armor if you're not going to wear it on the places that matter? Like on your legs, because yeah. he's got big gaps in the armor there, especially around the knee, the knee and the you know leg area. And those spikes would penetrate the muscle um, or cause severe injury, and you know you'd bleed yep. out from that badly. You know you're not going to do well out of that. It looks yep. a bit grim. There's blood all over the arena as well, smeary blood as well, which is a bit you know that's quite dark. Yeah, and it it just doesn't look it doesn't look like the kind of person that I would that I thought Speedball was made up of. No. Think of the in-game graphics and the sort of the portraits and stuff that was in Speedball. That's not him. Yeah. And not, not in that. that outfit. No, it looks like someone that's gone in fancy dress has dressed as somebody from Speedball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, he's made that himself, own. Annie, out of like egg cups and yes. colanders and well, cardboard and painted, he's got, painted it. He's, he's got American football shoulder pads on, but he's got them over his shoulder pads, shoulder sort of armour, which is weird that you'd wear it that way. It's, it's like he's got dressed wrong. <laughs> Um, I don't get it. And then also I noticed um, the logo as well. It doesn't shout speedball at me. It shouts at angular puzzles. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of the coming soon at the top in the sort of backward leaning yellow. Oh, my God. They've done a, you know, that's an italic in the wrong direction. That's like, (laughs) that's a a typeface crime. (laughs) 
right there. Now, they've skewed it. That's what. That's not a natural italic. That they've skewed a font that was wasn't generally yeah. italic. Nobody should ever do that. Ever. Never no. do that. Never. And never kern text badly like that either. You notice that the te- the gap between the letters and coming is different to the gap between soon. It's because they've kerned it from left to right, as opposed to properly kerning that text, which is to set the space between each letter evenly. Never do that. <laughs> Bloody amateur. Yeah. And there's a, the quote at the bottom. Speedball is fast, furious, and graphically very stylish. You need, if you're going to have that, you need a stylish advert. Yeah. It's odd, though, because the, the Bitmap Brothers logo is very cool, actually. I love that hand on that logo. But Yeah, yeah. Don't, the image logo, the Sp- Bitmap Brothers logo, all good. The, the screenshots look cool, but but just him. Just yeah. Known. And anatomically, well, they've gone a bit wild again, haven't they? You know, they've gone ab crazy again. And well, that could be just on the armor, though. I think that's just on the armor, unless he spray painted his stomach. Yeah. And I wonder if he's got, a, you know, if, he's, if that is, you know, from the back, there's no armor on his ass cheeks. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> no, that's that's a metal thong he's wearing. And that's gonna, can, that's going to hurt. You can see his speed balls. <laughs> I mean, if he farts through the back of that, that's going to whistle like a banshee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not good. It's going to sound like a kettle boiling, an yeah. old-fashioned kettle. <laughs> Ugh, stinks. Are <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, you boiled? <laughs> pouring from down there. Yeah, he's got anyway. a pasta, hasn't he? He's got a pa- the right thing to do pasta on his head. So Yeah, it would be very handy to do that there. Anyway, there you go. Speedball. It's not very good. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that? I'd, well, I'll let you describe it. <laughs> is there a way of describing that? A bulbous-headed alien creature with, with gnarly teeth and two female, or male to female, I guess, hands... For ears. I've <laughs> got the nails painted. Oh, wings. Nails painted. Are they wings? What are they? That's I don't just, know. What the hell is that? Fighting a robot spider egg. <laughs> no, and this, this is called No Excuses, which there aren't for this. There aren't for that. And weirdly, that, that fighting egg can fight either fire what look like bullets upwards and forwards, neither of which are the direction those weird <laughs> hand creatures are coming from. No. So, so that egg is cracked. That's it. He's done. It's the one in the distance that's coming. That's going. Uh, they obviously, they obviously use those hands to fly. I'm guessing they're flappy hands. Flappy. What kind of evolutionary step created that? <laughs> A creature with no body and hands and hand wings. How does it it's got feed hand itself? wings? Yeah, do those hands reach round into its mouth? <laughs> they maybe just reach. I think. I don't know. It's a miserable existence, isn't it? Because they're going to land on their chins no matter what they do. <laughs> yeah. It's not good, is it? No, uh, have you seen the actual in-game ones? Yes, I have. <laughs> oh, I've seen them, all right? Oh, my Lord. So this is from Arcana. My gosh, this is power play, people. Yeah. No. No oh excuses gosh, from Arcana. Superbly addictive gameplay. You'll, it looks like some isometric nonsense in the you other. You need fast reactions, lateral thinking, and weird head gloves. By Above the all, a cool head well. with hands on the side instead of ears that logo is so bad in it that no excuses what is it with drawing logos and just extending the parts with a ruler don't <laughs> ever do don't make an e look like that oh or, or jagged off the n oh look at it look at it and the oh no and then again look you see no look i'm just being picciano but look you've got excuses there and why is the gap between the last e and the s bigger than all the other letters don't do that don't do it there's no excuse just check your spacing please and Please, if you're going to create creatures for a game, never make the what, what can we even call them? <laughs> I don't know. Hand heads. Hand heads. Hand heads. Hand heads. Head yeah, hands. Hand, hand heads. I mean, no, absolutely <laughs> not. No, there's no 
fist noggin, fist noggins. And yet the hands are surprisingly well drawn. Oh, the, to the the, rest. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, a, there's a big wedged forehead and stuff, but they're, yeah, they are well drawn. But they're 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 very. Who, how do, who paints the nails? <laughs> there's obviously na- nail bars. I imagine on a planet where you've got all you are is a hand, <laughs> two hands, and a head. I imagine nail bars are probably like the one business that do well. Probably that and dentists. That and dentists. Yeah. Can you imagine eating dinner at these people? Because if they're, they're sat on a table eating and they have put food in their mouth, when they chew, their heads are going to flop up and down. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good, is it? No, no, it's rubbish. That. And that spider egg's got its legs in the wrong place. So the legs don't make sense. It's got, has it got two legs? So it's a, it's a bipedal egg. That should, be a, that should be a tripod egg, a treg. <laughs> That's a beg. <laughs> That's not going to walk around. It's going to roll over. It is. It's a weeble. It's a weeble waiting to happen. It's stupid. And it's got a ladder up the back. Why? Who's in it? Who climbs in that? What is it about? <laughs> Why has it got numbers painted on it? Why is that number seven? Don't know. Don't know. I don't want to know. It's firing ping pong balls. Exploding ping pong balls. Everything about that game's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's no excuse for no excuses. <laughs> no excuse for that. That's the stupidest character in an image I've seen in a long time, that. <laughs> that is a good one. Uh, and, uh, and finally, move on to our last one. And if you're talking about um, anatomically <laughs> delirious, what has happened to that man's back? <laughs> Do you know what? I take it back. All right. Second stupidest thing I've seen in a while. Goodness me. What? Why? This is times of law for, for know, those who don't know. And they've over-muscularized him to the point where he's... he's... <laughs> he just looks like a, a bit of rubber. He just, they, didn't know, know. <laughs> they didn't know when to stop. They just carried on drawing muscles. <laughs> And the way he's bent, what's going on with his knee? His right knee. It's, it's, but look, what do you mean what's going on with it? It's, it's, there's some kind of muscular atrophy going on. And it's all over the place. It's no wonder his body's... Look, he's got a really, it's got a really saggy ass as well. I know. And I also think that the thing that he's attacking, that sort of hairy beast thing that he's attacking, is actually yeah. backing away in horror at his, an, his anatomy. Well, he would... I mean, firstly, you know what? He's clearly got... His pants aren't covering his ass cracks. That means he's probably flapping at the front. He's got he's got back muscle, but no front muscle. And he's wielding his axe really weirdly, really weirdly, to the point when something bad is going to happen. He's and got a mon- choppy head The giant monkey creature cave thing has got no schlong. So it's, it's just, it's all unpleasant, isn't it, it really? Um, what's this? Times of law. There's a bad, really bad castle drawing in the background. It's just like on a field of what looks like um, honeycomb. Like uh, crunchy bars. It's fantasy, yeah. Just a guy, have a guy attacking a monster sort of thing with a castle in the background and some mountains. Okay, I can do that. Because they're sitting <laughs> right, what shall I put in the foreground? I'll tell you what, just draw a load of broken crunchy bars, some, then some, mush, <laughs> some mushy peas behind that and stick the castle on top of the mushy peas. Absolutely. Okay, you asked for it. <laughs> um, and then what about the logo? Just make that blend in with everything so you can't really read it. Okay, so you can't well, read it, yeah. Use the same colour. Use the same colour as the crunchy bars. All right, okay. What should the castle look like? I don't know. Just castle shape. What are about? Look, people aren't going to be worried about that. They're going to be looking at the muscular barbarian who's clearly having trouble holding his axe. <laughs> and his muscles together. It's like he's prolapsing. From everywhere. From everywhere. <laughs> and he's got war socks on. And I admire that dexterity <laughs> of any sock wearer. You know, he's not got boots; he's got war socks, and I, 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 I can, I'm going with that. He looks like those. Uh, his his footwear are made from the skin of that monster. It does they look very similar, it does actually. And also, yeah, because it looks like he stole his socks. That's why he's angry. Yeah, because yeah, you're a socks back. Oh, <laughs> my God, what's up with your body? 
<laughs> it's all wrong. You notice that the club that the monster's wielding is really, he's obviously fouled it to tooth in an end. That's just going to snap. He's going to be like, oh, damn it. It's like a toothpick. <laughs> it's like a, it is, it's a toothpick. What's he doing with it? It's like a tuning fork. He's holding it to his shoulder going, no. Yeah, rubbish. <laughs> Utterly, what on earth? And I'm not going to go to, I can't read the blurb. Acclaimed British designer, Chris Roberts. I mean, Chris Roberts is an, he's an acclaimed. He worked for uh, on a lot of stuff. I think he did worked for uh, on things like Fallout, New Vegas. I think he's worked at oh, Orange. Okay, well, uh, you know, well, maybe this is his first foray into it. And the game art looks a little bit different to the, thankfully, the advert art. So goodness me, but that the anatomy's gone badly wrong on him. <laughs> <laughs> and then some. We had any of these uh, crap verts this bad for quite a while. God, no. Yeah, Chris Roberts, Shadow Run, Brute Force. Wing Commander. Oh, it's Wing Commander. It's Chris wow. Roberts. Ah, oh, it's that Chris Roberts. It's the guy who's... Isn't he Star Citizen? Is it Star Citizen guy, is it? Wow, okay. Is he Chris Roberts, maybe, Wing Commander? Yeah, he founded the studio Club Cloud Imperium Games. Hopefully so, yes. hiring better artists now. Well, he's the person that's, you know, Star Citizen is just this... Well, let's not talk about that. Yeah, big old thing. Yes, it's not a great image that it doesn't shout times of law. It just shouts, you know, man can't hold axe and monkey wants his socks back. <laughs> that probably wasn't what they were going for, but that's what we re- that's what we read from it. In, in times of law, when men yeah. stole monkey's socks, <laughs> yeah, and their anatomy just exploded in all directions and fought for supremacy on the green pea fields <laughs> and crunchy bar landscapes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not there good. you go. That's good. That's a nice way to open the year with three good crap verts. It is. We always like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what. I keep looking at those hand hand heads, <laughs> fist noggins. I don't know what to call them. <laughs> I don't know. We need a name for them. We have to think about that because that's also the ears, technically, as well, isn't it? So uh... yeah. I mean, literally, because they've got no eyes. So I mean, maybe they put <laughs> the hands over. Maybe they see no evil, hear no evil. <laughs> Speak no evil things. Eat, well, they eat no evil. Yeah, they, as soon as they land, they're like, oh, oh my chin. The chin's it. <laughs> it's just all wrong. It's all very wrong. Oh, there you go. Some good crap verts to uh, end end January off with. Let's have a look at the chart. First chart of the new year. Um, this is from a Commodore user. Um, in at number ten is Armalite. Mm, uh, makes sense. Down, down to number nine is Pro Ski Simulator. That doesn't. No. Uh, a re-entry at number eight is Commando. Back again. Oh, yeah. Uh, down to number seven uh, from three is Joe Blade 2. Goodness me. Oh, jump and kick boy. <laughs> New entry at number six is Emily Hughes' International Soccer. Okay. Staying at number five is Bomb Jack. Up to number four is International Rugby Simulator. I've come across that one yet. No, not yet. We haven't. Down to from number one to number three is Last Ninja 2. And then okay. new entries. At number two, we have Operation Wolf. Okay. And unfortunately, at number one is Double Dragon. Oh, my Lord. Which I understand is not very good. I don't think I've ever played mm. the C64 version, but I've heard it's not great. Yes, we will. Um, at number 11, we've got End Zone. Re-entry at number 12 with Football of the Year. New entry at 13, Micropro Soccer. Oh, finally. Finally, that comes in a month or two. Uh, down to, uh, sorry, new entry at 14 is Ace 2. Down to number 15, Football Manager 2. New entry at 16 is Tato. Tato, ho, oh, Tato is coming on. Potato. Up to number 17 is School Days. Down to number 13 is Barbarian 2. Uh, new entries at 19 and 20 with Afterburner and Biggles. Okay. Biggles, that's weird, isn't it? It must be a budget re-entry or something. Budget re-entry, yeah. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, that's it. What we got looking up ne- next week, uh, I'll try and work out which of these are Amiga and which are not. Well, the ones we've got Amiga next to it. We've got Ace 2, uh, okay. Blip Video Classics. God knows what that is. God knows what that is. Double Dragon. Mm, okay. Eagle's Nest we've already looked at. Espionage. Okay. Um, Exploding Fist Plus. Interesting. Uh, Gaplus. Plus. Okay. 
Uh, shooter is it? I don't know. Growing pains already have already looked at. Gorilla War, Hellfire okay. Attack. Okay. Um, Ingrid's back. Okay. I don't know if she went anywhere. I didn't. Oh. Uh, International Rugby Simulator. Okay. Uh, Jet Set Willy Nightmare uh, we've looked at. Live and Let Die. Okay. Okay. Uh, Mad Flunky we've looked at. Micro Soccer. Right. Um, Excellent. Neuromancer. Okay. Uh, I don't know what I'll be like. Ocean Conqueror. Mm. Rackham. Okay. Rambo 3. Oh, Lord. Return of the Jedi. Oh, good gosh. Okay. Uh, Thunderblade. Uh, okay. We'll be looking at that Times of Law and seeing exactly what's mm-hmm. going on okay. there. And Total Eclipse. Okay. That's more slow-moving drillimation, isn't it? It is. Driller action, yeah. Good sound. So that's it. That's what we have coming up for February's episode. That's it. January's done. We are moving apace into 1989. How are you feeling so far about how things are gone? Well, it's a shaky start, but there's been a few, you know, a few highlights this episode. So maybe that's the tone it'll take. Maybe they'll get less and less, but the some of the games will come out. It'll be better and better. I can only hope. Yeah. Just, just to say as well, going forward, having planned all the things out, apart from I think it's uh, March and April. I think March is a four episode or April's a three. I think pretty much every month is a two-parter. The number of okay. games drops quite considerably this year. But so, you know, just March, I think, is a big one. And a- April, I think, it might be February. I can't remember which. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, expect two weeks. It is what it is, like you said. Maybe less is more. Less is more. That's the plan. We can but hope. Um, I think that's it. Anything else you want to add? Nothing else? We no, done? no. I think that's, a, you know, January started things off. Let's see where we go and maybe there'll be more crap verts like those. We can but hope. We can but hope. So that's it. Um, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Radding. And we have been stealing the socks of monkey monsters on a field of crunches. <laughs> um, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.